Welcome to episode 66. As always, you can find the podcast on the web at enterprisehardcorepodcast.com. As always, you can find the link to the most recent episode, information on streaming and social media. And as always, give us a follow on Facebook and Instagram at Enterprise Hardcore Podcast, on Twitter at Podcast Hardcore. On Instagram, you'll always see like upcoming episode stuff as well as like old flyers and cool, uh, like nostalgic hardcore type stuff. So give us a follow there. Uh, there's a Patreon going around. I'm trying to get some uh, uh, like live uh, equipment to do like live episodes and whatnot this summer. So if you're interested in doing that, much appreciate everybody who already has. Yeah, no, today, today's going to be a lot of fun. Uh, a lot of episodes like this are fun for me because it's fun to go back and talk to people that I kind of knew like when I was real young in the scene. And, and this guy kind of tonight, uh, if I'm not mistaken, met me uh, on a pretty uh, uh, interesting evening. Uh, in Rochester hardcore history. So uh, yeah, we're gonna be talking to my buddy uh, Jeff Lasich. Uh, how's everything going for you tonight, man? Good, man. I'm doing good. You? I can't complain. Like I was telling you before, we've had some heavy winds today. So uh, yeah, I apologize for the delay in getting started. I was going back and forth literally on where I was gonna record because I don't want the wind to be in the recording too much today. You know? So yeah, I, I've been cursing you out. I'm like, come on, Josh. I'm trying to watch <laughs> the Curse of Oak Island. You're holding me up. They gotta find this mystery. I, I've been obsessed for two weeks on this show. I'm super late to the uh, party on it. But uh, and I know they never get anything because it's on season nine and I'm on season five. So clearly there's no treasure that they found, um, but it's still fun. Yeah, I'm a little bit behind on TV shows ever since I started doing the podcast and found all these wrestling podcasts. I just mostly uh, listen to podcasts. So, um, you know, and that's one thing that I don't think I really put in, into our notes too much that you and I probably could also talk about is, is wrestling. Aren't you a big wrestling fan, too? Yeah, I am. Actually, when you said that, I was like, oh, really? <laughs> so am I holding you up from the AEW pay-per-view tonight? Oh, shit. Are you going to watch it or? Uh, I might. It, look, the card looks pretty good. Yeah. I don't fuck with a lot of current stuff. I listen to the Jim Cornette podcast, so he always like makes fun of all that stuff. So oh, yeah. Cornette like hates just, everything. Yeah. But just through him making fun of it, I'm already familiar with all this stuff because like I've turned on AEW once or twice. And I'm like, oh, shit, that's all the people he talks about. And, you know? and, and, and not to make this an AEW podcast, but, but like to me, it, it reminds me of wrestling and stuff from back in the late 80s. Just the way it's shot, just, there's a certain feel to it. It's definitely different than the current WWE product, which I don't even, I can't even stomach to watch anymore because it's just so, so, so that keeps alive. But yeah, the old stuff is is always near, near and dear to my heart. Yeah, so. definitely, and that's that's why I listen to a lot of those old podcasts. Like I listen to a lot of WWF ones too, where they talk about a lot of that stuff. And but it's funny with AEW, obviously, like you said, not to turn into a podcast about that, but kind of reconnecting it to hardcore, obviously with with Andy and Brody being there now. It's crazy seeing like the the connection like that you know oh yeah like like um god Tate was playing fya on sunday and then uh that wednesday he he debuted on on aw it's just it, it was amusing it's like you know three days ago i'm watching his band and, and there he is coming coming out of the darkness to, to join malachi so did you know he was joining aw like is that like is the internet uh, rumor stuff still pretty heavy these days or? yeah i mean like the kids were kind of marking out a little bit, trying to get pictures with him and stuff. And I, I mean, I guess they, they knew he was signed or whatever, but I don't think anybody was expecting him to show up three, four days later. And uh, so it, it's a good fit. And it was just, you know, it's funny. He's hanging on this, on the side of the stage with his glasses on grabs. Mike does a guest spot on somebody's band and then he's on TV. So good, good for him for, you know, balancing both things and, and Andy too, for that matter. Yeah, and, and I'm sure we'll talk about Turnstile a little bit later too, because they're everyone everyone seems to be talking about them, but they're another band that kind of balances both these days, it seems too. It's pretty crazy, you know. Yeah. Um, but yeah, let's jump back a little bit. I like to kind of do things in a timeline. So let's kind of talk sure. about your upbringing 
Uh, I know I met you like when you lived uh, in the Syracuse area, but obviously you grew up uh, in the Pittsburgh area, right? Yeah. Yeah. And that's where I'm back now, too. Um, it's not the most exciting place on earth to live, um, but but it's home. You, you know, it's right now. I mean, it's it's exceptionally hard now after living in Philly and, and being able to access Philly, D.C., New York and just the culture, the life, the everything in here. It's it's pretty it's slower paced and, but it's cheaper and it enables me to travel more and do more stuff. So there's trade-offs, but, but yeah, I, I grew up about an hour South of Pittsburgh. Um, yeah, just the, the normal kind of upbringing. Um, my parents divorced after fifth grade. And I think th that's when everything started to change for me. Um, and, and kind of start making me into, into who I am into, you know, what, what I'm into and, and my, my ideas, my thoughts and, and all that stuff. And, and, um, I'm, I'm sure we'll we'll get there um, during the conversation. I don't, I'll follow your lead on this. It's it's weird being on the other side of the uh, uh, of the interview spectrum because you know doing a zine for so long. I'm I'm always leading the stuff, so try try not to take control here. So point me where you want me, Josh. Yeah, I've had a few offers that haven't come through yet about people that want me to be interviewed by them about this podcast and stuff. And it's the same thing. I'm like, man, I would rather just like ask them questions, you know. So, yeah. um, but obviously we're going to mainly be talking about like hardcore and punk and stuff like that, but were there musical interests and whatnot that, that you were into before that? And I know you're like big into like skateboarding and stuff too. So I'm guessing that kind of was a, a big bridge yeah. to the gap for you for everything too. Yeah. It was kind of like a chicken, chicken versus the egg thing. Um, I, I think one of the first things I can really remember was, I don't know, 83, 84, when, when like Motley Cruz shout the devil came out and, and twisted sister. Um, I think Twisted Sister at, at both bands because they were just they looked so different. I mean, obviously, they even even further back. Uh, um, I was born in 75. OK, so by the late 70s, Kiss was still around and my three, four year old brain couldn't understand their makeup, the long hair, like none of it. So, like Kiss was already a mystery to me from, from, from when I was little. So when I was in elementary school, <laughs> that, that's like when, when Motley Crue and, um, and like I said, Twisted Sister, those records had come out and um actually i was at my very first live wrestling was with my dad took me to the pittsburgh civic arena um and i all i remember is the main event was big john stud but they had they were announcing some concerts and i think crew was touring maybe for shout the devil or Judas priest was touring it was one of those two bands and I, I mean I, I couldn't have been more than nine ten years old i was begging him to get me tickets to go see these bands i didn't know anything about them i just kind of knew the name and, and, and knew them like that so i i that's kind of the first musical memories I, I really, really um, remember minus like the Carpenters or some Motown stuff my mom listened to. Um, but like I said, my parents divorced after fifth grade. My mom moved about a half hour away. So I was in a new school district and meeting all new people. And um, it, it, it's weird. Like in, until I know something, I'm like comfortable. I'm like totally socially awkward, which kind of fast forward works why I always have a camera in my hand because I can just kind of hide behind it sometimes. Uh, but I mean, what, once I'm comfortable, I'm fine, but I, I'm not good at making small talk or like introducing myself. I'm not. It, so like I'm in this school and just, I missed home and everything was just weird. It was a little more rural too. Um, so I was just, Oh my God, what am I doing here? And uh, the, the, the actual town, and the, when I say town, we're talking population, you know, a few hundred wasn't, wasn't big, but they actually had a really big skateboarding scene there. And they had a skate shop. And I remember my, my bus stop 
uh, was right at the skate shop, but I'd look in the window and look at all the graphics. And I remember there was a peanut brown board, and I'm like, why would somebody want a board with somebody's name on it? But I, I like, it was just totally in love with the Power Ripper graphic. I just thought it was the coolest thing. Always like skulls and, and that kind of stuff. So I'd always look at that. And then there was a kid who was in my seventh grade science class. His name was Lance. I probably haven't seen him since I, I left that school right after seventh grade. I probably haven't seen him since then, but you know, one of those things sticks in your, in your head. And um, he had Thrasher with him. And I remember he, he was drawing a, a pus head skull that was in there. And I was just, I thought it was the coolest thing. And I'm looking through it and I'm, I'm reading it. And he's talking about this band called the dead milkmen. So um, I made my mom take me to the mall that night and I um, made her buy me the uh, big lizard cassette tape. And I had no idea what I was even getting into. I, I didn't know anything. And, and I remember I went home, went upstairs, turned on. And I was like, I also liked Weird Al a lot growing up. So n- not that Dead Milkmen are like Weird Al, but there, there's a little humor in, in what they do. So it, it hit me pretty good. So it's like, what came first, the skateboarding or the music? But they kind of came hand in hand. So then I start looking at Thrasher and reading these bands and, and just talking to some people. And then it, it was right at the time when Master of Puppets had just come out. Um, anthrax did i'm the man and since the anthrax graphics at the time had the not man on a skateboard my 12 year old brain's like okay this this is an equivalent and um through that you know i just listened to that and then um like like metallica had garage days come out and it had um last caress in green hell find out is this is a cover record who's this band and fast forward me not long after that, buying my first Misfits cassette tape, which was Evil Live. Uh, probably not the best starting point because, um, you know, the audio is terrible on it. But I'm also using a, a $20 boombox that sounds like garbage anyway. So, but I could break it apart. The, have, again, all the songs covering the stuff like the horror, horror movies and monster things. And um, yeah, like and from that point that there was no looking back and what was cool was but like punk and, and hardcore and skateboarding it, it was something where i could do myself and in growing up i mean i played soccer i played baseball i played football i did all that stuff um you, you know in elementary school but when we moved um it just wasn't i i, I, was, I actually played football that sixth grade year in, in soccer i was on the traveling soccer team but no, nothing felt right you know what i mean so I ended up finding, finding this stuff and it just, I was like, wow, th- th- this is, this is the path that I, that, that I want, I want to take. And, um, you know, here, here we are in, in 2022 and I'm still doing the same stuff that I did all the way back then, you know, should I have grown up? I don't know, but you know, I mean, I'm just fortunate enough to find something that, that really mattered to me young and, and was able to, to be through it. And it's funny, like, all the trends and, and all the things that have become popular, like we've seen it all a year, two, three years before it even hits through skating and through music. Um, so I, I, I'm very grateful um, that, that I found that. Oh, but, but what I was saying, it was something I could do by myself. Um, my mom had remarried and my stepdad has two kids and it wasn't even a, I, I'm the oldest. So I was like 12. My, my stepbrother, Chad was eight and my sister, Carrie was, was four. And um, so they, of course, needed a little more attention because they were younger. And, I, you know, I'm dealing with the, the struggles of my parents divorcing, my mom remarrying. I'm in a new school and I'm just like, you know what, Th- this, this, I, I don't need you to take me to practice. I don't need you to, to do anything. Just 
let me go out the door and, and go explore the town. And I made some friends and um, a couple of older kids, this, this one kid, uh, his name was Jason Tracy, super good Pittsburgh skater, like, like really, really, really good. He ended up starting a company called Little Skateboards in the mid nineties. Um, J- Jason's, you know, a local legend. He actually became like really involved in animal rights worked at some sort of like farm sanctuary. I haven't seen him in, in a long, long time. I ran into him in Pittsburgh probably, I don't know, 10 or 15 years ago, but that dude, he could skate and uh, he, he had the connections. He, he knew some people. Um, he he, uh, he should have, if, if he was out of this area or if skateboarding was like it is now where it wasn't just California or like New York, the way everyone gets hooked up. I mean, he definitely would have, um, been I I imagine pro and I don't I don't throw that around lightly but but he was that good that smooth that, that natural and like just a super super nice kid and you know I mean he's a few years older than me he took me under his wing and then he would we'd go to skate parks and, and do all that kind of stuff so but had I not moved to Mount Pleasant my mom the time my mom was in, in uh, Mount Pleasant Pennsylvania had I not moved to Mount Pleasant I mean who knows what, what wouldn't have happened so and then after halfway through seventh grade, I moved back in with my dad because I was just homesick. I wanted to come back to the, the kids that I knew. And um, what was weird was because life had moved on while I was gone. There were new friendships made, new inside jokes. So that feeling me being an outsider at Mount Pleasant, I got it again when I went back to the people I grew up with because I had missed that time. But this time I had skateboarding, so none of it mattered. It was just like, all right, fine, I'm, I'm going to do this. So a couple of other kids I knew got skateboards. So we had a little crew and then they all just fizzled out, you know, within, within a year or two, but through, through thick and thin, I, I stuck with it. At what point did you start to discover that there was like actually a scene for like punk and hardcore though? Cause like, I know like when you're first kind of get into it, you know, these are like bigger bands, but at some point well, we all kind of discover like DIY and stuff like that, you know? Yeah. It, it's, it's kind of weird. Um, like, like I said, where I, where I live, where I grew up, it's, 45 minutes south of Pittsburgh. It's not really, really anything. But uh, there was a town across from mine, a little town called Belvarden. Um, they actually had two clubs. One was called either the Underground or the Odyssey. It was in the basement of this building. Uh, like, on, like on Main Street, it was like in the basement. And then this other place was called Jam and Skate. That had skate, it was a roller skating rink that had skateboarding um, like one or two nights a week. But I, I never went there for that. I was too shy. And then they did bands and um, th- there was a time where like if half-life played there would be like two three hundred kids there and um I, I i i knew about it but i didn't i didn't go to my first show there and it was at um the odyssey it was my freshman year of high school so that had been probably like like september of 89 or so and um oh i'll never forget the steps going to that basement were it was a super long stairway but the steps were real high and narrow and it was you know, I have my combat boots on because that's what I saw people wearing. So I thought that's what I had to have. I can barely walk in these damn things. I'm trying not to fall on the steps. And um, it, I guess it used to be a, a bowling alley or something. Cause when, when you walk down the steps, there was a, um, an arcade, like a pool table, some video games, a little snack bar that had just been there. Then there was a big curtain on the other side. And I think they'd use some of the old bowling alley as part of a stage. And um, one of the, um, the couple this guy that i'd gone to high school with his band was playing they were, they were called um flagrant violation kind of kind of a straight edge band but like george singer was straight edge um the drummer bolt was um i'm not sure if mike or ever was and jim definitely wasn't um but even at my high school we had his right when i 
the when I was in eighth grade, they were graduating for the most part. There was a band called Split Decision, um, strange band. The singer, his name is Phil Robb. Um, he actually is a big video game designer. He owned, uh, he's like part owner of Turtle Rock Studios. They did that Evolve game. They just did that Back for Blood, like that Left for Dead kind of. So it's kind of weird that, you know, this kid who just from our scene is a huge video game, video game guy. And um, so, but yeah, so I go to the Odyssey and I was like, well, th this is it. This is, this is my life. And so my dad didn't really know what was going on. And um, he had picked me up from a show one time. And I uh, saw a couple of guys with mohawks and stuff and, you know, how, how people would have th these ideas on what everything is. So um, I was banned from going to shows for a while for, for no real reason, except my dad didn't like the, the looks of, of the people who um, were outside the show. And um, I, that, that probably fizzled out and I would go occasionally, but all those places shut down. Um, and then when I was 16, I got my license and I would go to shows here or there, but it wasn't. It, skateboarding was was my main my, my my main focus i mean i i had the music i had i had the records i had the tapes but i, I wasn't really interested in, in going to shows as much because i mean i could go to a show or i can go skate because it was an hour for me to get into pittsburgh and it was pre-internet so unless you were in the city at a record store beforehand you weren't finding out about it and, and when maximum rock and roll would run like um, bands, they'd run an ad for like the tour dates. The magazine come out three weeks or three months after the tour. So I'm like, oh, I, I guess I could have gone to that. Like instead played here, uh, Girl Biscuits played a house show here. I'm just like, oh man, that, that would have been, that would have been great. And then and time moved on, probably like mid nineties, I kind of got, got more into it um, where it was kind of an equal split. And then by the time I moved to Philly in, in 2000, which you would think I'd been skateboarding nonstop because that's what Philly is. Um, turns out I was more into music and I barely skated. I, I like skating and it was never, but the timing just was like, well, I'll run down FDR or I guess I'll run from the cops of Love Park, which was a joke because they would chase us from Love Park. We'd run across the city hall and then 15 minutes later, they chased us back to Love Park all day long. It was absurd. Even in 2001, they did the, um, the X Games there. It was down at the arenas that they did a street course at city hall. They, they had cops at Love, at Love Park making sure no one would go there. And they took down all the new skateboarding sides at City Hall. I took a picture of one like just sitting there. I'm like, this is this is ridiculous. And it's not even like a skateboarding purist kind of thing from my point. Because been there, done that. That was a long time ago. But it was just like, you, you know, the city rejects it, but you're going to embrace it right at the same time. Because D.C. had offered them, I think, $100,000 over 10 years. So a million dollars for maintenance and upkeep of, of Love Park just to keep it um skatable without without it being a bust and city's like no no we don't want that so they went in they shut it down they redesigned it the, the day it opened kids are back there skating just using the, the planners that they're using the block just gonna go around them and then um someone dyed the love fountain pink they, they threw pink dye in it and then all of a sudden the city liked that so they they would change the colors of the fountain all the time but yeah, it was, it was crazy times. The, the early 2000s, I mean, I, I'm sure Love Park in the 90s was crazier, crazier, but it was it was pretty cool back in the early 2000s um, as well. So I went from one to the other, and then even now it's kind of like a balance between the two. Yeah, I've never really skated much myself, but it's just crazy to see how like acceptable it is now. Like in our city, there's like a, a skate park like right in our downtown, like I'm guessing like partly funded by the city and everything, you know what I mean? And it's, yeah, it's just so, you know, yeah, it's, it's one of those 
love hate things on, on, on my end. Um, you know, growing up, I would have loved that, but it also takes away some of the, some of the soul and some of the spirit. Like, you know, I would jack wood from wherever we could and we'd build ramps, build them in the woods. Um, we took over an abandoned house, built some ramps in there until we got kicked out. Um, but now it's easy, you know, like you just do that. You show up. And, and let me tell you, I'm the guy who's going to the skate park at nine in the morning on a Saturday because I'm not running from the cops. I'm not dealing with the kids, but I'm also, <clears throat> I know my, my, my limits. I see these street courses. I was like, man, I would love this 20 years ago. So I'm just going to go skate this bowl or, or this ramp because it's easier on my knees. And I mean, it, it takes longer to heal when, when you fall, when you, when you fall at this age. <laughs> you still skate pretty frequently though, or? Um, yeah. Like uh, my, my friend, Frank, we, we grew up together skating. Um, right when, when COVID started, he, uh, he texted me about, he, there was a school with just, with just a curb, but he found it like a decent curb. He said, Hey, I've been skating this curb. You want to come out? And um, I had gotten sick. I don't know. I don't know. I, I got sick at FYA in 2020 where I was sick in January, <clears throat> February and March, like, like, you know, clear it for a couple of weeks. I don't know. It was, who knows what it was, but that March I, I was really sick, like sleeping 14, 16 hours a day. And I don't do that. And I'd wake up, take a nap. So it took me a few days and I felt like I was, and I'm like, Frank, I'm blunt, blunt, blowing you off. I swear. As soon as I feel better, I'll, I'll come out. So we start skating at school and um, we, we try to get out there like three nights a week. Um, he has two kids that with joint custody with, with his ex. So he has the girls Thursday, Friday, Saturday. So normally like he takes them back to, to their moms on Sunday. So we'll skate Sunday, Mondays, Wednesdays, and um, I'll go to a park or whatever, but you know, I mean, I, I know my limits, I know my boundaries, but I'm happy just being out rolling and um, you know, as long, as long as I can, I mean, I, I can still do tricks. I mean, I clearly can't skate like I did when I was 20. I mean, let, let, let's be honest, but I mean, as long as I can still roll, I'm happy. It's just, that that sound the air the feeling just everything about it but again it's been in my life for so long you, you know how do you how do you not love that yeah i haven't played basketball in a long time uh, my son's starting to get into it and, and I, I i'm gonna start playing again and i also realized like within the last year or two that i'm old enough to play in like 40 and over leagues now so that kind of makes sucks, me, it? <laughs> it sucks but at the same time it makes me kind of want to do it because i feel like i'd probably have a leg up on those guys you know like i might be in better shape and like I've yeah. had some injuries, so my back's a little fucked up, but like, I think I could probably still run up and down the court and keep up a little better, you know? So, oh yeah. Um, but you kind of referenced straight edge earlier in the conversation, like, and I'm, I'm guessing that's around the time that you found like the whole straight edge movement. And like, have you, yeah. have you kept, like been doing it the whole time since then? Or Yeah. What happened was, you know, when you're little, you get that idea of what being an adult is and what grown ups do and, and all that. And, and clearly alcohol was a part of it. Um, so, so this kid actually lived in between my house and the house that it was my house. It was a, the abandoned house we had their ramps in and a little bit up the street was this other kid. Um, and he was the one, his sister would drive us to shows and his parents were bikers, like legit bikers and had a little marijuana growing operation in the basement and in the beer meister. And I mean, they partied cause they were bikers, you know? And, and so like, I, I tried like some rolling rock or whatever they had on, like I, I sipped it and sipped like I probably I don't know vodka tequila because I tequila cause I remember the worm but like just just straight sip and I'm like my god this why bleh, this is awful like why would you even bleh, terrible but right around that time um, I discovered minor threat and uh, 
so, so here, here we have adults or at least people I perceived as adults at the time singing, you know, singing these songs. I'm like, wait a minute, the, the, there is an option to that. Like, I, I don't have to go this path. And, and I had always been kind of an outcast and kind of like walking my own path anyway. But sometimes it's nice to have someone else just um, saying, hey, it's, it's, it's OK. You, you know, you're not you're not that weird. There's other people that do this. And it just it just made, made sense. Um, um, both my parents have substance, substance abuse problems. So, and at the time I hadn't really seen it, but as, as life moved on, you know, I would see that. So, and it was never, to me, it was never, um, I guess never really it, it, to, to, to quote breakthrough. It was never a choice. You just gave it a name. Um, but, but it's true. Like that, that's just who I was just like, I was a skateboarder. Like the, I mean, that's, that's my core being, that's, that's who I am. And I mean, I've been through those phases where I'm militant or I'm mad about this, but at the end of the day, I mean, I don't give a shit who sells out, who doesn't. Um, I mean, clearly I cared 25 years ago and, but that's all that mattered. But, but at the end of the day, you know, it's about what you do. Like for me, it's the right thing. And there's other people who, who it's not the right thing for it. And that's okay. And it, it was weird. Um, I had never, minus for shows, I'd never been to a bar, never did anything like that. Um, I, I got divorced in 2009. And um, some of the kids that, that I knew from back here, they were in bands and, and did that stuff. Um, so, you know, I started leaning on my friends to get me through that. And they went, they were always at the bar. So now I'm going to the bars all the time, still straight edge. And that, it was never, they're never like drinking. It was never anything like that. But because up until that point, I only knew the, the negative parts of like alcohol um i i just to me the idea was it always ended in bad things and, and i'll be honest it usually does but <laughs> and i couldn't understand like well, if you're gonna drink drink to get drunk like i, I couldn't understand any of any of this stuff but these guys could at least somewhat control it and it wasn't necessarily the evil that that i saw it as i mean you know what are you gonna do um but but I was a little more exposed to it. And I mean, hell, I, I can look at, I, I know, I know different booze drinks now and it, it's kind of funny. Like just I'll, I'll criticize somebody for drinking. something. My, my, my close friends, like, why are you drinking that bottom shelf vodka? Like get something better. And, but I mean, and again, I, I'm not changing. Um, I, I have an all or, or none kind of personality anyway. Like, I mean, you can see behind me, like, that's part of my record collection. That's one shelf. I have another one. I have seven inches there covered in tattoos. Like, because one tattoo is not enough. I need to be covered. So, like, I, I just know that, like, like if I did if I drank or did anything like that, it would just be, forget it. Um, and, again, let's quote Earth, Earth Crisis. It's the oath that keeps me free. But it's not a struggle. It's not a battle. It's, it's nothing like that. I mean, sometimes we all pretend, like, it's, like, strange Dungeons and Dragons where we're, you know, this giant crusade. Um, but, but it's not, you know, at the end of the day, I, I, I know what's right for me. I, I know, um, I mean, it's just, just who I am. And, and it's funny when I got divorced, I, I, I had to move with my mom and like, I lost everything, like, like everything. And all I had was, I was, you know, my mid thirties and I was still straight edge. And, and like, that was the thing that I held on to. And I would sit on my computer for four or five hours a night, just playing Bejeweled on Facebook, which I was doing right when I was waiting <laughs> call me by the way but but like i was like man i i could see why people drink to at least forget this shit for a little bit you know because I, I couldn't turn my brain off so i would just mindlessly sit there play play the game and listen listen to music 
Um, but I mean, the reality is too, you do that. Well, you get, you wake up the next day, you're sober and the problems and the pain still there. So, you know, I, I fought through it and, and, and the strange thing was the, you know, it really gave me something, something to lean on and to hold on to. And, you know, so, um, but yeah, so still straight edge will we'll always be straight edge. And, uh, you know, all, all those youth crew cliches. Uh, it's, it's, uh, it's, it's, it's crazy to look back though. I think you were kind of referencing it too. Like, I, I don't even think I was straight edge when you and I knew each other. And I'm definitely not now, but I, I was looking back on like some of those 1997, like news clips and stuff, like, like probably a month, wow. month and a half ago. And I'm not the t- type of person to do it, obviously, because I'm not straight edge, but I'd love to see a podcast or somebody do like a, where are they now? on like all these, oh, like, there man. was like it- some random, like tv show that i found on youtube at some point that i've never seen like with a bunch of courage crew people and shit. oh yeah the, like, the, the rolanda episode yeah yeah i was like i never well, even, i don't even know who any of these people are like i've never even like i know a few people from courage group i didn't know who any of these dudes were you know and i was yeah. just like there's and then i found some other news clips i've never seen and it's just because i remember all the shit that was happening in syracuse which we'll get to obviously and like the kid that firebombed the, the mcdonald's in utah too obviously like that was uh, like national news you know but like some of this shit yeah. I had never seen. Have you so you've seen that video before, obviously? Or? Oh, oh yeah. I remember when it came out. Um, because I knew some of those dudes. Um, this, this kid John was he was in the crowd, and I, I remember uh, Jen and I were watching it at her mom's house, and uh we're like, Oh shit, that's that John kid. But um, Ron Fox was one of the guys on the panel, and he was a singer for Battleground. And I actually did a battleground interview with my old zine right before I left New York, and um two years ago, I guess it was maybe three now this this COVID thing has my dates all fucked up um it, it was memorial day probably 2019 i guess um battleground played a reunion show in cincinnati and i had never seen them and again i know people hate their courage crew and i know they hate the overtop but sometimes shit's just not as real as you think it is i mean courage crew is but i mean like the battleground songs and stuff they're it's it's not like that so i was like i i want to see this band I got and they're playing with embrace today who you know our old homies and i hadn't seen them in a long time and i'm morning again i was like oh shit i'm gonna drive out to this so i drove out and um I, I met ron i was like hey man we've never met before but i did this interview with you like 20 some years ago he goes, oh no i totally remember nicest guy like nicest guy in the world and clearly still straight edge and just just so at least we, if we did a worthy now with, with Ron, he's still where he was, was back then. He, he's tattooing in Ohio and uh, doing, doing pretty cool. Um, but yeah, but yeah, those shows were definitely crazy. And then there was that one they did um, like, like with Guav and, and DJ um, that earth animal, I don't know what the heck what it was called, but I remember at the beginning they were printing those, the earth crisis chance strength ripoff shirts and the strife stormtrooper shirts and the, the, i think they filmed at the lost and that that, that was fun and, and guav i remember guav just making that that um that morris our farms griller or something something he's like a vegan meal and it's just <laughs> i laughed about that for the even now like i'll eat some morris our farms something and just in my head be like a vegan meal just it's, it's crazy the weird stuff you remember what year what year did you first um, move out to the syracuse area um it was summer of 97 Okay. Uh, I, I met my ex in college and she had always planned on going to, um, to chiropractic school. And, uh, so I mean, we, we were dating for, I don't know, maybe like two, two years at that point. And she was looking, there were only, you know, a small handful of schools in the country, but then there, there was New York chiropractic, which was in Seneca falls. And we're like, well, that's close to Syracuse. That's when that was the hotbed of everything. So 
she's like, all right, I'll go to school there. So she moved up there in May. I moved up there a few weeks later. And uh, my first show in New York was at the Lost, and it was Brothers Keeper and One King Down. Uh, that was like June of 97. And then uh, I was like, man, these dudes fucking mosh hard here. Like, <laughs> it, it was it was next level from 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 what I saw in Pittsburgh. And uh, they had announced that, that August 1st show with um, – crown of thorns and 25 to life Madball, earth crisis part of me wanted to go then part of me was like, i don't know if i can go to shows here this is like rough but um i i eventually settled in the um 97 warp tour incident happened um with the skinheads so i still so like all right so I'm, I'm cool with these guys now you know we we've fought through the trenches and then i went to that august 1st show and one of the worst kept hardcore secrets was the path was going to play some songs. So Path Resistance played four songs after the Earth Crisis set. Oh, Marauder played that show too. But that, that was like my first taste. But then by the end of that summer, I was thinking that I really had to go back back home, back to Pittsburgh to finish college. And I did that and she wasn't very happy, but I, I needed to do that. So what happened was while I was finishing college, I would drive up to New York, I don't know, probably like once a month, every other month, six and a half hour drive. I don't know how, like, even now, like, I drive out to Philly, I'm like, my God, how did I drive to New York all the time? I guess because I was young. But, um, so I would usually coordinate visits up there with when there were shows going on. Um, but when I met you, I was actually living there full time. Um, because my dad had a tendency to kick me out of the house. So he'd kicked me out at some point. And so I was living in New York, uh, with her. And, um, I, we lived in Waterloo, which is right next to Geneva. Um, and I was working at a Kmart because I just moved up there and needed a job, didn't. And I, I was so lonely, like, like from a skateboarding perspective and like hanging out with, with just local people. I mean, I could go to a show and be fine, but there was nothing wrong with, with her, but like, I needed my friends. And I remember there was this kid in there, fears, he was clearly younger than me, but he had an independent jacket on. I was like, hey, man, do, do you skate? And uh, his, his name is Aaron Green. He's like, oh, yeah. And, um, so I got his number and I mean, he was, and it sounds weird, like to catch a predator sometimes, like when you think about these age differences, but, but, but when you're in it and, and your intentions aren't bad, you don't even think like, Oh, this is some shady shit. Um, but he, he was a few years younger than me. So like I, I met up with him and like him, um, his friend James and, and Matt, they had their little crew and, um, Actually, it was funny the way it worked out. Like Matt and James were from uh, Clifton uh, Springs. And they were also down like the Ryan, um, who sang for Cast Aside, was part of that crew. They were the CSP, Clifton Springs Punks or Clifton Skate Punks, something like that. So they were a little CSP crew. And, um, you, you know, so like, and I don't, I don't want to take credit for any of it, but, you know, like I exposed James and those dudes to some of the bands and stuff that was going on and they got really into it and they started their own bands which was cool. And then, of course, Ryan went on to Gym Class Heroes. And even, like, Gym Class Heroes was from Geneva. And, like, like Travis used to hang out where we skated. There was this kid, Steve Principio. He um, lived a block from a park, so we would take a fun box, a rail, a couple wedges, and just drag him over there, skate all day. Travis would, would graffiti up. He'd sprayed up all the stuff. And I remember we went to a battle of the bands somewhere in uh, Geneva that they played, and there was some some awful like cock rock band cover band playing uh david bowie fame and uh he just that band got heckled because like 
all Jim Class Heroes friends and everybody was there and just it, it was crazy. But um, yes, yeah, so yeah, meet meet this random kid. Um, I mean, we became really good friends. We went to a ton of shows, um, and you know, you know, it was cool like seeing a whole new generation pop up. It, you know, but they, they never. Aaron went to some show. Aaron went to a lot of shows with me because he he always videos he always videotaped shows like all the stuff at like No Borders No Boundaries. He had tapes of um, you know like Adamantium playing there, Poison the Well, Poison the Well in Ithaca, and like now just like fuck man, like look at all those shows and all that stuff that was going on. It's just bananas. Like um, those early um, uh, every time I die shows, I remember seeing them at um, No Borders No Boundaries. Maybe with um, dead eyes under or something just crazy it was it was really an awesome awesome time so i don't even know where the hell i started with this but uh that was definitely <laughs> a, a really good era and i don't know if i realized you were making that drive so much and like you said that's a that's a really crazy uh amount to drive back and forth like that um when did now i know you you sent me a picture uh like a week mm. or two ago from the from I, the 98 auburn fest yeah and yeah. I got a good laugh out of it. And I do remember like people like you and me and Ryan Hex and like other people with just like the little point and shoot cameras back then, just like taking pictures for our fanzines. But obviously, like since then, you've gotten a little better with the with the photography. Like, 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 when did you when did you first develop the interest? And like, when did it kind of like, you know, progress to where it is now, I guess? Yeah, well, like you said, like how like you said, like with me, you, Ryan, it literally was just there was a show I'd point and shoot. Um, like that show, I had a VHSC camp camcorder, so I would record like one song of a band just for prosperity, you know. But I was moshing, singing along. Also, I have a picture of you moshing shutdown. I didn't send you that because I, I got to find that. You have a basketball jersey on. Same show, but uh, when we moved to so when Jen finished um, chiropractic school in two thousand one, we moved to Philly because it was all right. Where are we going to go next? Philly's a, another hotbed. It was close to DC, close to still driving home, close to New York. That's where we'll go. So went down there and for my birthday that year, she had um, got me uh, some sort of Olympus point and shoot. And again, um, I, I remember I got the first place I took it was we went to the Atlantic City to the beach and I took some a couple of pictures. And I mean, I shit, terrible. I mean, it, it's probably like a two megapixel camera. I still have some of some of the photos from them, but they're so pixelated on my computer. I'm like, oh, this this sucks. Um, but even then, like, it, for for me at that point, it was just like, okay, here's just some more zine pictures. Um, I didn't know what I was doing. I mean, I didn't know what I was doing at all. Literally, point and shooting, and just I wasn't wasting film. Uh, you know, I, I had a digital, and for for years, that's what I was doing. Like, it was never really. I, I like doing it, but it was never a, a thing. And there's some shows when I was living in Philly, they're like, like man, why didn't I take any pictures that they're that? And, and more more than, <laughs> than you would think. And I have a lot of photos. So I went to went to everything there. Um, but then maybe it's good because some of those photos would have would have been terrible. Um, but I, I guess as time moved on, I you know got a little bit better camera, but I still I didn't understand photography at all at all but but i was living on the under the philosophy that i i created for glenny freeman i don't even know if it's true or not but i thought you know he took like one shot you know you take that one photo and try to get that one moment to, to capture not only the band but the whole um 
the whole show, the whole mood, just everything with that. So I, at the time I was real adamant about only taking like one picture, um, not multiple frames per second or anything like that. Um, and then I, I guess I, I kind of got an attitude where it was like, well, shit, I've been doing this for so long. Like I, I had an issue one year where I couldn't, I couldn't shoot this as hardcore. And I was, I was, I mean, I'll be honest. I mean, I was, I was pretty upset about it. And, but I think it was me just being a baby because I wasn't living in Philadelphia anymore. Um, and I was thinking that I was owed and entitled something just because I was shooting these shows in basements and at places like the Rotunda and the Kill Time uh, before any of these fucking new kids were even around. So, what, you know, why should I even have to jump through any hoops or beg or anything like that? Um, and, and, I, and, and, at the time I was hurt, but I mean, looking back, I, I mean, I totally get it, but like, I, I use things like that as motivators. Like, okay, well, how can I, what, what can I do to, to get better at this? So I tried getting better, but I still didn't understand, like, like really didn't understand photography past maybe the, the auto setting and just really just pointing and shooting. Um, I, I would think maybe over the last five, five or six years, I, I've gotten more serious about it and especially just before covid hit so i was like all right i'm gonna make a web page i want to make business cards i'm gonna try to be a little bit more um together with this but then the world shut down like oh there's no point doing any of this stuff right now but during all that time i spent a lot of time reading about photography and trying to understand the exposure triangle and moving away from just shooting um you know like opening the lens up to two eight or, or, or or you know whatever the highest i could set it at and just blasting shit off like no like I, I always had pictures in my head i just didn't know how to actually capture what i was seeing so it was a lot of reading a lot of trial trial and error and um so, so my, my failures actually have pushed me to get to this point because i'm like well if, if this isn't working and i mean even now like i look at, at things i do stuff i shot two years ago two weeks ago and i'm like oh man i should have done this this was bad like i, I shot ghost at um an arena back in like 2019 and i, I just shot them at an, another arena show a couple weeks ago and before the the most recent time i was looking at those last ghost photos and at the time i was stoked i'm like oh these are these are cool i looked at them like man these are terrible like there's one or two that are that are, that are good you know and um, so I was just looking like, all right, well, what were my settings like? What was I doing? You know, where was my ISO set at? And it's, and that's what's hard about shooting shows is nothing's ever the same twice. It's never the same two seconds time to time. But like now I like, I like shooting these bigger shows because the, the lighting's there's a lot, a lot more um, going on. But I also missed having to dodge stage dives and kicks and, and all that. So there's a fine line. But so, so I've, I've really gotten really, more into it um over the last few years just trying to understand it and then when i get these these bigger shows it pushes me to do even better you, you know like i shot kiss in october i never thought i'd shoot kiss no I, I know kiss has been around for a century and isn't everyone their mother has shot them but but still for me to get approved to do that it's kind of cool and it's moving it's like all right cool like i'm, I'm getting somewhere like i shot tool last week i don't fucking care about tool i mean it, you know, from a, of course I care about tool. There, publicists like to hear that. No, I, I mean, I, I, I get there. There's, I mean, it's a specific niche for people who are. I don't like ten minute songs. <laughs> um, 
but I, I knew visually they would be awesome, awesome to shoot. So, you know, I like having those opportunities. I'll, I'll shoot anything right now. Um, but I've gotten a little bored with shooting shows, not bored, but like I've done it. And I'll, I mean, I'm going to continue to do it. I just shot FYA um, in Tampa and, you know, I'm, I'm dying for the, this is hardcore lineup and AJ at preserving has a bunch of stuff coming up. So like, I mean, I'm always shooting stuff, but like, I, I also like going into, I like going to places or, or trying to get like these like, like creepy moody kind, kind of photos, which is actually kind of hard too, because it's a whole different spectrum of your settings and how you're doing things. And this is funny. One thing I really like shooting is there's a Renaissance festival about 15 minutes from my house. I go there all summer and shoot. But again, you got musical acts. I'm still shooting music. You, you got some, some jousting and lots of colors and, you know, it's a green area. So a lot, a lot of cool contrast. And I kind of like hone my skills and things like that too. Like, you know, you got to force yourself to, to shoot things you're not used to or not comfortable with. And that's how you get better. So it's, it's always, always getting better. Like I shot ministry Friday night and it was an absolute nightmare because on this tour. And I think on the last tour, they've had a fence in front of them. Now trying to shoot through a fence in with questionable flashing lights and dark lights and stage lights, the camera's focusing on the fence over and over and over again. And I'm like, I can't get a fucking shot in focus through this fence. Like I'm, I'm not freaking out, but I'm like, where's the angle? What, what can I do to get this? And then I was thinking I had, I, I was shooting with a 24, 70 millimeter lens. I had a 7,200 in my bag too, which I knew was like too, too much zoom for, for a show like that. Maybe, but I was thinking, you know, I was at the zoo a few weeks ago and I was shooting cheetahs through their cage and you couldn't see the fence. So I was like, you know what, maybe if I throw that on, maybe there's just something with, with that focal range and, and it worked. It, it, it saved the day. I was able to get some, some, some uh, Al Jorgensen pictures without just the fence. Like there were some shots where his eyes were actually in focus. I'm like, oh man. I, it's little battles like that but again it's it's shooting something else that said hey here's how you handle this so you want to be a well-rounded photographer i can't do portraits i think that'd be boring and i don't know how to use a whole lot of off-camera flash stuff maybe someday because that's where the money is <laughs> when you shoot like bigger bands and stuff though is that like a, a paying gig or like through like a nah, just, nah. Uh, no, no one pays no one pays um very few people make money doing rock photography and i i, I can't prove it but i think that a, a lot of bands think that um and i'm sure there's people who do it like photographers will try to get the bands to buy the photos buy the rights to the photos and like to me i mean i guess everyone got to eat but I, I hate that and sometimes it makes life a little difficult from a photographer standpoint, like where I got to jump through hoops or, or whatever to, to get approved to shoot something. Um, but if, if I really want it, I'm, I'm going to figure out a way to make it happen. Like those misfit shows, I had a pocket size camera that I was like, I'm getting this in there and I'm getting these, I'm getting these pictures. And, and I did. So if, if I want it, I'll make it happen. But yeah, I, I wish I get paid to do big shows or go on tour with somebody and just be their tour phot photographer. But right now, I mean, I'm happy. Honestly, Josh, it's like, to have those two or three songs, you know, whatever the stipulation might be, um, just to have that that experience in between the stage and, and the barrier, it, it's like you see things like completely different, like from that. Plus, you know, being able to like see all the 
the the hollows and the what's and the way the stage is set up and, and the notes and just the, the little details that no one ever sees no one even cares about but like my mind i, I like seeing all, all that kind of stuff like that that ghost show they brought us from backstage in into the behind the stage into the photo pit so you know i'm seeing the guitar techs i'm seeing the stage hands doing all their stuff no i just I, I like seeing how things work sometimes so but i'll, I'll shoot i'll shoot anything i, I honestly don't care um you know, whatever it is, I'll, I'll do it. It's, it's fun. I like the challenge. Now, shooting so many fests over the years, like going back to hardcore, you've obviously seen bands like Turnstile and Code Orange and like even bands like Harm's Way, like come up from like smaller bands to like bigger bands. Like, like, do you see that from afar and like see like, oh, this is a band that kind of has something and they're going to. Oh, like, oh like, absolutely. Fun, you know, absolutely. Well, like Turnstile, I mean, it was almost like from day one, there was just all this crazy hype about them. They played this as hardcore and like, 2013 or 14 and i was even on the stage i had gone up to the balcony just to kind of take a break and i took a couple of pictures from up there and just you could just see like all these kids I'm like wow this, the kids are gonna be real hyped on this band and then the following year they played i think it was the following year and there were kids just like pushing the band out of the ways they could mosh on the stage i'm just like come on guys you, you, but like turns out like just like from that from that minute it was like wow i i don't, I don't know if i ever thought they were going to get like to the level they're at now um, and I mean, that's great for them because I mean, they, they've, they've paid their dues and they still, I, I posted on Instagram the other day, that picture. And I was like, grateful that, you know, they're still playing shows like FYA and somebody made it some comment like, well, what, well, why wouldn't they? And I'm thinking, well, you've been under a fucking rock. Like they're going to be playing barrier shows. You're not going to have this access. Like you're just not going to have it. So for them to play the show like that, that, that is awesome. Like there was no barrier. There was no nothing. And, and, you know, coming out of the, the, the dark days of COVID, it, it was awesome to see. And I know some people might say it's risky, it's whatever, but I mean, I'm not even going to get into all of that, but there has to be a point where you rip the bandaid off and just kind of like, all right, well, let, let the chips fall where they may see what happens. And it, it was cool seeing like a, a packed venue like that with stage. It, it was, I, I think kids have been so um, dying for something like this. No pun intended. Uh that you know to have that opportunity it, it was like before COVID. like it reminded me of shows better than shows before that like it, they were diving and singing along and there wasn't any bullshit there was no drama there was nothing and although when it was over <laughs> it, that turns out set was so wild like uh I, me and danielle dombrowski shot it and and me and danielle were out waiting for our uber to go back to the airbnb and i was like well, if we got the vid, we definitely got it during that turnstile set. <laughs> but um, no, they, they were, it, it was great. And I, I guess it's one of those things like by being around for so long and seeing things for so long. Uh, and I, I don't know if we're even going to touch on this, but um, you kind of get a sense of who's going to be what, who has the potential to, to be. And that's how I ended up doing the half heart demo seven inch. Um, I, I just, I had heard about them. We drove to Connecticut for a first step show and they were just coming off maybe their first tour or something. And uh, I was like, wow, there's something different about this band. And then the, at the time they, they were fucking up a lot and being um, really consistent with, with booking shows and showing up for shows. And then um, verse their um, fan had caught on fire. So they did, a, there was a benefits show somewhere in Connecticut that we drove up for. It was like verse have heart, um oh crap one of those locking out bands that 
did a seven inch and barely played shows. Wrong uh, side? Uh, no, no, it was um oh, goodness gracious, I can't think of the, their oh, name. Well, yeah. Yeah, but it, it doesn't matter. But so it was just some small shows. But I remember I grabbed Pat in the hallway and I would, I just had to talk with him, like because that's when champion was bigger than life. And I was like, you know, if, if you take this a little more seriously and, and you, you know, you, you got, you're good. The band is good. You can, you can do things. You can get bigger than, than champion. And I don't want anybody in hardcore. This, this is my soapbox moment to be in it, to make money or to be popular or to get fame or do any of that shit. But sometimes there's a band that you just know is going to be able to do good things. And I, I felt that half heart did good things that pat had things to say so for me to say bigger than champion it wasn't like oh we're the best band but you have value of worth and, and that's that's why i wanted to do the seven inch to begin with it wasn't so i could press eight thousand colors and piss off record collectors it was because those lyrics on, on that demo meant something you, you know and, and thankfully that they finally took the band seriously and 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 i mean we all saw what happened with half heart by the way that band was look alive because i was trying to think what the seven inch was uh yeah so, but yeah, and sometimes there's just those bands you, you you can tell like okay this these bands are going to be going to be good. But right now I'm I'm out of loops. Like there's some bands that are big. And I'm like what? Ooh. So. Yeah, I, I was gonna say I think you're segueing pretty good into talking about the label, and I was gonna ask you before that if there's any bands that you think have have that like I guess in wrestling you call it the it factor of like a band that that has that's gonna that blow up. I have I have one in mind. I haven't seen them live yet. I don't know if you have that band Koyo from long island <laughs> it's funny as i was saying it that's that's what i was thinking yeah. they're set it they're set at fya also like it, it was one of those moments where it's like okay this band and some someone on instagram so it's, it's like title fight part two and, and maybe it is but i, I think koyo is gonna be yeah they're definitely gonna be a force to wreck with like everything that's coming out of that that uh, they're from like long island or something i think yeah. it seems like it's a, it's a hotbed right now you know Again, everyone's just chomping the bit because everyone's been stuck in inside and, and really limited to what they could do for these last couple of years. So it should be interesting to see um, where we go. But yeah, that cut, however you say their name, um, that set was was pretty awesome. And, and soapbox moment number two. Just real quick for, for the three people that are going to listen to this. I, I wish and I realize there's issues with getting products and manufacturing and shipping and all that but this has been going on since before the world went crazy why can't bands have records cds cassettes whatever the medium may be at their damn merch table instead of 20 different shirt designs like there's so many times where i'm like i i would like i would great your shirt's awesome and i I love it i have three closets full of shirts it's like i i want to listen to your band I don't want to go to your band camp. I don't want to stream this. And I realize I'm a dying breed. I get it. But it would be nice if I could just pick a damn CD up or a record or something at a show. And I mean, they're, they're there, but but not 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 enough. Because there were definitely some bands at FYA I would have loved to have picked the CD up for instead of coming home, finding their band camp, downloading their free demo, having to put it on my phone. It's like, just give, give me that immediate satisfaction. So let's do more records and cds and, and also quit making records without drop cards my last I, don't have record, I don't have a record player in my car and i would like to be able to listen to it in, in my car that, that's coming from somebody who collects a lot of records too um yeah my last guest mike jeffers from buffalo he has a cd only label classic core records and uh he's he's been pumping the cd 
the CDs for some time now. And we, him and I on the last, he was on my last episode, we were talking about, you know, him just kind of rubbing it in. Cause it seems like CDs are starting to slowly make a comeback, you know, and, and what you're saying there, it seems like this goes back to what he was saying in the last episode, like, but the way vinyl plants are like turned around so much right now with, you know, backed up and whatnot, like fans should just start pressing like a few hundred CDs. Cause you can get them in like a week and a half, two weeks. Right. Like, plant, oh yeah. You know, and just, it, even if you don't sell a lot of them, you'll still sell a few. And like, like those people like you and, there's other people probably too that want to buy a CD. You, you can still play them in your car, right? It has to be cheaper to produce. It's funny how the industry went. Like the the music industry was getting killed by when in their in 2000 when people started downloading stuff after convincing everybody that CDs were better because it was because they were better, but in reality it was they were cheaper to make, cheaper to ship, cheaper and more profit for them because they're selling it for twice the price of a of a, of a vinyl record. So then the 2000s come around, then the CD industry gets decimated because people figure out file sharing. So now records are better. They're truer. They're, they're all this stuff. And now I can sell a 12 inch for $30 instead of an $18 CD. What the fuck? Like, I, whatever. But because of shit like that and record store day. I mean, when, when I did the label, I, I used to plant in Ohio called Music Hall. And like, they're great. Like I call Warren Warren knows who I am. I, my first couple records actually with United, but then they kind of priced themselves out. Um, I remember oil prices going up in the early 2000s. And I was like, I, I can't afford to press there. So I, Robbie Regis was doing Dead by 23 musical. And at the time the product was a little questionable, but he had changed however he was doing things. So the records were actually coming out better. So I switched to music hall, but um, there's this band from Texas called Link by Link that I'm kind of into. And I was kicking around the idea of doing a record with them last few months and uh um i i just went to musicals page because I, I mean i know there's a production delay with everything and on there i think the turnaround was 26 weeks or something like six months for for just a little plant in ohio that run out of his house for the most part and i was like holy hell no wonder no one can get anything um so i kind of had to table that idea too because people don't buy records and you have to sell seven inches for eight ten dollars now and i get it but in my heart of hearts i can't i can't do that like i can't charge more than five dollars for a record a seven inch that doesn't seem right no, I but I, I realize production cost and if you factor it all together there's a reason so but and i don't want to deal with international shipping i don't want to deal with kids thinking i'm amazon prime that you ordered it and i'm shipping it out that day like i have a job like you'll get it on I, i'll mail it on saturday i've been doing this i'm not going to rip you off for eight dollars believe me so i've had ideas of resurrecting my label before too but you're definitely uh curtailing those uh ideas right now you know what josh it's a great it's a great idea but when, when you start to break it down like that it's like Oh my god like i love getting that box of test presses in the mail i love getting that box of records i'm putting together and, and i love doing i like legitimately love doing all that i hate the headaches that go with it and, and i don't even mean like the normal headaches it's the shipping headaches that i hate i had some some kid from japan or i think japan years ago when i was still running when I had the bottled up store envy up um ordered like 130 140 dollars worth of records from me that in right around christmas three weeks filed a complaint I'm like, you're not even giving a time to get there. I fought with PayPal. I fought, they ended up taking only half of, they, they took half the money off me. And I told them, like, look at my transaction history with you guys. I've, there's been a lot of money. One person overseas in three weeks, and you're going to just side with them? It, it's, it's not worth that, the, the aggravation. Well, in, in, just in general, I sold some skateboards recently, and 
this one kid was pissed off that there was something wrong with it when there wasn't because I literally have had it in a bag since I got it. I had a friend work for a distributor and he'd send me stuff. And um, I, I just, he was like, well, I want my money back. So I, I made a deal. I'm like, how about I just give you half back? You keep the board. So I didn't want to go through all that crap. But those are the things that make me like, do I even want to, do I even want to bother with that? Because the kids that, that we were dealing with and selling to and all that 20 years ago, and it's not a diss on the kids, but it's a whole new generation. So it's, it's not the same. We're not the same. It seems like records so. are more of a commodity now too. Kind of like you were, I think that's even one of the exact words you used before too, you know, like, but now it definitely seems more like that. Like you have to do the, the, the like limited pressing, but like I, I've had conversations with other people too, where it seems like, like the, the, the pre-orders are basically just like a GoFundMe for record labels now. You know what I mean? And you're waiting, like, like you're saying like four months, like that discord. I see people posting <laughs> about that discord box set recently. I don't know if you got that or not, but yeah, I'm like, I considered ordering that. And that really was like, how long ago was that? I, I, that's what I was trying to figure out. Like, I remember my friend, Scotty Pesic messaged me. He's like, he sent me the link to it. And I was, I was at a store. I, I, I was, at, I was at Ollie's discount store. And I don't remember if I was shopping for Halloween stuff, but I think it was even before that. So it was probably over the summer. I'm thinking there, there was a, um, the, the Ollie's is right by this convention center. I'm thinking I may have been at, like at a, a, um, a, a comic con or something. It may have been that day. And if that was it, that was definitely like June or July, but at least they were up front saying, Hey, we don't know how long this is going to take. Yeah. And they would give you the updates and it's discord. So, you know, they're not going to screw you, but it's, it's tough. And l- l- like l- that link by link band, if I want to do that record, who's to say that in six months when I get it, they're still a band. That's not a risk. I, I got burned like that with Learn. <clears throat> um, uh, Death Wish slash Malfunction did the Learn um, Life and CD, and I did the vinyl for it. And Linus did the artwork, and like we spent so much money on, like I, I know that, like True and, and Trey spent like a ton of money uh, on like the the CD of it, but like whatever colors that Linus did that that cover with i had to pay like extra for the colors for just for the covers and um we had all this shit ready to go and um i was in a <laughs> i was at ikea and, and and true called me he said learn i think learn just broke up and we're talking two days before they were going on tour and we'd spent all this money on on this record and uh so I, I texted the one dude in the band and, and was kind of getting the runaround how they were going to try to put a scab lineup together and all this. And this was, this would have been like June of 2006 because my, my birthday is June 16th. And they were supposed to play a house show in Philly that day. And I went down there and I waited and waited and waited from side of box, like a hundred records from the take. Um, and I was like, I got to go. Like, it's my birthday. I'm like, I'm not going to just sit on this stoop waiting for you guys to show up. So I left the, left the records with whoever, and then they got the records, but, I never saw the money for it, never got the records back. Um, so we all took a hit on that. They, they played a couple shows and just disappeared. And, and I mean, they were active up until right then. So it's, it's definitely a risk. So I, I don't know if I could press a record six months from now, not knowing if the band's going to be a band. So did you really press that record? That learn record was really good, by the way. Did you really it, press 8,000 of the half heart, though? Was it really 8,000 of that half heart? Or are you being sarcastic? I, I was probably being sarcastic, but there was a lot more than, than I thought I was going to press. Honest to God, I thought with that half heart record, I was going to do a thousand, 
1500. Um, and actually that was supposed to be bottled up records number one, and they were going to re-record the demo. Um, I don't know why, but we just decided they were going to re-record the same songs, which were fine. And, um, it was taking too long. Things were screwing up. Not not screwed up, but just nothing was was happening. And I wanted to start a label. So, and I know you did the the one up interview with Donnie and Greg. Um, Donnie lived like three or four blocks from me in Philly at the time, and uh, so he was at my house. Like he almost lived in my house. So he, he called me up. He's like, "Hey, you want to do the one up demos a seven inch?" And I said, "Yeah, yeah, great." Because I never pressed a record, and if I had any problems, he's I could almost yell down to his house. Um, and I mean, they were good friends, so it wasn't going to be hurt, hurt feelings. N- nothing bad was going to happen. So I was like, you know what? This will be a good learning process for all of us. So I ended up doing that first while waiting for half heart to get the stuff together. And at some point we're just like, yeah, you know what? We're just going to use, we'll cut that sample out. Cause they used the sample from stand by me, cut that sample out and just pre- press it from there. So that was bottled up one and two. And, uh, then bottle three was the one up, the more things change. And talking about like funding and pre-orders and all that stuff with, with that record. Um, I had kept word docs of everyone who had ordered records from me. So if you'd ordered the, the one up seven inch, the half heart seven inch, and then the second one up seven inch, there were uh, well, like, say like 35 people who did that. Um, I had a special, I made a special cover and I put a stamp stamp label with a little present on it and sent out with, with all those records as just as a thank you for hey just just sending your money to somebody you don't know on a label that's just starting out i appreciate your support here here's a here's a gift back to you guys and that's what i wanted to do with the label i never wanted to have heart record to become what it was and, and i realized people get pissed off bent out of shape that there's so many colors and so many pressings but i'll, I'll say this I, I did the initial run and then the second run i did was yellow because at the time i was obsessed with the grill biscuit seven inch on yellow like i wanted to have a hundred of them and i was trying to find any weird variations so i did them on yellow simply to see what colors maybe are you know depending what what united sent me back can can we think that maybe there's gonna be these shades and um but but as time went on you, you know so then those all and i feel like i mean it's a hobby it's not a job so i can afford to press 500 records i can't afford to press 2000 at a time um, so then, you know, positive numbers coming up, they have a summer tour coming up. All right, let's get a quick run of 300 for, for this. And then, Re- then I start getting distributed by Rev. Rev sells out. Rev wants, a, wants their own color. Rev wants more. And what are you going to do? You're not going to say no. I mean, I'm a record collector. I love this shit. And I love Revelation. And Revelation wants to carry my stuff. People like this band. This band matters. Like, I'm going to keep doing it. And then here we are in 2020 and 2022 with, I have a whole box of different color one up or half heart seven inches in there. Oh, the colors. We would come up with these crazy ideas for colors and covers, but it was supposed to be fun. And I never, you know, I never intended it for, and there were times people were spending a lot of money on those variants. And um, I never intended for any of that. It was just a, a nerdy record collector thing that kind of, Went, went a little haywire but it was cool because i in the life of the label and i don't want to say that it's dead because it I, I i never say never but you know i got to do a lot got to do a lot of cool records you know i got to a first step seven inch another band that i loved um blistered who went on you know lena went on to well blistered had i heard him on serious and then Leonard went on to Leonard lennon went on to eco strike and um did outlast who um you know ian's in the dividing line now and um the efforts made record who there are these two twins from new jersey 
awesome kids, but there was an ongoing joke. So I always tried to jump on shows. So there was an ongoing joke about efforts made should play this. Um, but that again, they were nice kids. I thought that record was good. I did the Crumbler record, which Donnie touched on. Um, and I knew that was going to be, they weren't really a band. It wasn't really anything. So like I did that bare bones. Like I, I made the covers. It was one of the smartest things I did label wise cover. Like I, I did like the son of Sam. It, it, I don't know if you ever heard the Crumbler record. But it's kind of, I don't want to say like schizophrenic, but it's kind of like, it's fast. It's kind of all over the place, but structured, not, not, not just noise, but it kind of gave me this weird, like serial killer kind of, kind of vibe. So when I was coming up with the cover for it, I never designed stuff. I was like, oh, I'm going to get Son of Sam David Berkowitz. So I found a picture of him. Then I had one of his letters. I used one of his letters. I did the lyric sheet over top of it because to me, like when I heard the record, that's what I saw. Um, I'm still sitting on a bunch of those because, but I knew that was going to happen. It cost me almost, it didn't cost me a lot to press, but I like that record a, a lot. Like actually, after listening to that interview with Donnie and Greg, I busted that out. I was like, man, this this record was actually ahead of its time. Uh, probably not, but <laughs> it, it was fun. And I mean, I pressed 500 more Half Heart records about three years ago for Rev, and I never sent them to them, and I've never done anything with them. They're just sitting in my basement on my record shelf. Someday, I, I always say someday I'm going to just move all that old stock and, and stuff, but I, sh I should do that. But all my time goes to photography now. So somebody in a few years is going to really hit you up about having 500 have heart records sitting around. <laughs> <laughs> I'm surprised they haven't already. If they, if they hear this, someone's going to ask me for your address. I, uh, speaking of doing dumb shit like that, years ago, someone on eBay was selling like 200 Project X bootleg seven inches. And they were one of the early bootlegs. I bought them off her for pennies on the dollar. But the idea was, I just, I wanted them. I thought it'd be cool. So I, um, Porcel had done a Project X song at a grill could show at Seabees. And I had some pictures from that. So I threw the Porcel picture on there. And I even put on the back, like, hey, this is not, don't. And I mean, I still have some. I, I sold a bunch of those. But I mean, I sold them for like $3. Like It cost me, you know, a buck and a half for the record, a buck for the cover. I wasn't making any, but to me, it was just one of those fun things um but yeah so now i have all those half heart records and a bunch of uh project that project x seven inches in my basement so. were, were you at the show here that desperate measures and one up played where with coalition where, where parcel sang the project x song i i was i was yeah. and i actually this is just dumb stuff i wanted to bring up because you talked to Don, donnie greg about that you mentioned a storm there was an ice storm yeah half yeah. a half of rochester lost their power and half the reason I went out with them that weekend was I was going to meet up with James, the, the kid who played drums in Cast Aside. And we were going to go to, there's that Thai restaurant, The King and I. They have incredible sesame tofu there. It's like one of my favorite things on the planet. So I was like, oh, cool. I'm, I'll go out with them, meet up with James. We're going to get some sesame tofu before the show. I was so pumped. Ice Storm took out half the power in Rochester. Guess which half didn't have power? Yeah. I, I, I must have called that restaurant 12 times that day, hoping that they're going to open up. But uh, actually, I have pictures of that. Like, Warren, what was Rory's band? Warren. Um, Rory, was that? Uh, that was Hold True, I think, that Rory was in at the time or a witness. Maybe. Yeah. Well, I yeah. do have pictures. I, I do have pictures from that in uh, Coalition. Yeah. We were psyched because, I mean, that's when Purcell was still not doing a whole lot of things uh, musically. So that, that was pretty cool. Um, yeah, that was, was a fun weekend. That's what measures. Man, good times. And then I fell asleep on the van coming home and they busted my balls about her to this day. 
I'm like, come on, it's like three in the morning. We're on, we're on a highway. Of course, we're gonna fall asleep. Oh, so that, that's when they start calling me old man. And I'm only, I was only a few years older than, but at the time, it seemed like I was so much older, and, and I, I really wasn't. It just, you know, they're 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 starting out in life, and I'd been on my own for a few years, so you know, it was a little different dynamic. Oh, man, but that, that interview with him was great. It, it reminded me of a lot of good times, and I love those guys. Yeah, thanks, man. That's 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 pretty much what the podcast started as. Because I mean, during COVID, I was posting like old flyers and during the initial lockdown pictures and stuff. And then I was like, might as well just start interviewing some of these people about this. And now, with all this current stuff going on too, with like newer bands, like kind of trying to mix it up more, you know, and have like like half and half. I mean, it's hard to t- tell like who listens to what, like you know. So I try to keep it, you know, consistent for people. But I I, I want to try and have a mixture of past present and future you know i don't want to just gloss over on the past or you know one of those types of things you know yeah i've, I've it's funny like, i have a hard time listening to podcasts um like popular podcasts because there's so much bullshit inside jokes and and just talking about how their day was like just get, get get to the meat of this like that's that's why i'm here I, I don't i don't care about all the other crap so and like i need it for whatever i'm doing at the time so by the time i get done doing whatever i'm doing you're not even talking about what and that's one thing i listen to yours it gets right right to the point you know i like stories i I like that kind of stuff i don't i don't need all the the mundane bullshit it's funny that you know you being a former zine guy you're doing podcasts and i've been i've been toying with the idea of doing another start today i I really had intended on doing one last year for the 2020th anniversary of the first issue yeah chew on that for a second um but it was funny, like I've written the intro in my head a bunch of times and, and part of it was just like, you know, when I started when I did the first issue back in 2001, podcasts weren't a thing, nothing was a thing. And now you have these podcasts with these great long interviews because no one has to type it. Um, like, man, it, it's weird that like podcast in some sense, like podcasts have killed the zine. Sorry. Thanks, John. Thanks. <laughs> Sorry. <laughs> Uh, no but it's cool because there's i mean there's definitely a lot more information that, that comes yeah. out now and and you know you definitely get a lot lot more i'm even doing the zine you know you know when you had interviews when you did someone either face to face or on the phone it was always better than an email interview not only because yeah. you had the conversation but they're just going to talk and talk and talk whereas if they're typing unless it's tim mcmahon tim will tim will send you an essay um but everyone else you know you're lucky you get three four sentences and, and then they move on yeah, the email interviews were always kind of rough to do in the fanzine era, and I, I definitely prefer the in-person ones. You were kind of starting to talk about your old fanzine uh, start today, and I kind of want to jump back to the beginning of our conversation a little bit first, though, because there is, and again, I don't know, I don't usually talk about this all that much on this podcast for obvious reasons, but <laughs> I think you and I met for the first time. You had called or written me a letter and possibly even included a half size zine that either you or someone else was doing at the time. And this would have been early 98. Do I have my timeline right? Right. That's when we first met each other at a very uh, notorious show that I booked in Rochester. Yeah. You were at that show, right? I, I certainly was. Um, I, 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 I've, I've been trying to think who I went to that show with. It had to been like that Aaron, probably Aaron and James and Matt, but like, I, I know I was there. Um, yeah. I was doing a zine. I, Citizen before that it was Death Before Dishonor. Um, it wasn't very good. But I, I, you know what? I've looked at some of the 
the issues as it went on it, it wasn't so it wasn't so bad like when i started i didn't really know what i was doing i was just copying like whatever eric or ems was doing with sa mob or whatever zines were going on i was just trying to be on that tip and then the star wars stuff was coming out so i was using a little bit of that but by the time like i hit like four and five it's kind of like i had a little bit of idea of what i wanted to do and um, that's actually how i'll get to the start today after that but yeah i was doing, i was doing death for star you were doing the right path um, I don't know if I saw an ad for your zine somewhere at a show or a record store in Rochester. Who knows? But I, I yeah, I definitely either wrote or called you and you told me you were doing that show. I remember like there was a show, I think Floor Punch, Envy, and Ran the Prey, and somebody was playing like in Buffalo or something around that time. And no one would go with me. And I, I was real mad. And I, I loved Envy. Envy was booked for, for this show that we're not talking about, right? Yeah. yeah. They were supposed to play and with that's why I, Like I had, I had, the, the other band seven inch um because i remember ems had hyped it up in one of the sa mobs i was like oh i gotta get this this is awesome um so i bought that so they were playing and i was going to see envy and uh um i probably wrote to you just asking like about the show or, or whatever and uh yeah that, that was some crazy i've seen a lot of shit man that 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 that's still to this day was one of the craziest things I, I, i've seen and i know there's i know there's video i haven't seen any video of it but I remember there there was a back door behind, like if you're looking at the drum kit to the left of the drums, there was someone standing that door videotaping the whole thing. Um, you know, I'm not we're not gonna get into it, but I, I don't even know how it started. It just all of a sudden it was just like bam, everything just went went nuts. And then they're supposed to play Ithaca the next day. Buffalo. Because I sure? went to the I went to the Buffalo show. Ithaca was probably on Sunday because I went to the, the show. I went to the show in Buffalo the next day because uh, Jared, who played in like No Time Left and Maybe he played in They Live, too, but he owns a record store in Buffalo now, too. He's a good dude. But anyways, him and I, like, you know how back in the day you would talk to people in other cities about, like, doing shows and shit? Him and I kind of coordinated it to where we kind of set the whole weekend up. And I think that's where the Ithaca thing probably falls into play, too. That was probably okay. Sunday. But he, he had the show on Saturday. It was the Swarm. I don't know if Envy played. Sirhan from Buffalo, I'm pretty sure, played. That's a, that's a pretty crazy lineup. Yeah. But anyways, they didn't, they didn't, obviously they didn't go to that. They, they, they went home with their tail between their legs or whatever. I don't know if you've been like friends with those dudes, like the years you lived in Philly or whatever. I ran into the drummer because he was playing he's drums for American one. Nightmare. What's he's that? He's the only one. I don't even, I don't know him, but like, yeah, internet know him. He's the only person. The other guys I've never seen around or, right. or anything like that. Or if I saw him, I didn't know who they were. Yeah. That's who they were. Yeah. But, uh, yeah. The Ithaca show got canceled too. Cause I remember I'd called, I'd called whoever was doing the show. Uh, before I drove down there, because it was probably only like an hour drive from Waterloo, but I wasn't driving down there for nothing. They yeah. said, yeah, they're, that's not happening. So, Yeah, it's one of those yeah, things yeah. where it probably depends on who you talk to, how, how it all transpired. If you talk to people from here, which I like to prefer to hear the side from this, this city, obviously, but it's, I mean, they were just like, I think they just pushed a little too far and did something to somebody that they probably shouldn't have, and that's how the whole thing started type thing, you know? So. As someone who really didn't have a, a horse in the race, you know the way i remember it was just it was like just a standoff yeah over just over nothing exactly uh, a little, little bit of swag from the guitar player and someone in the crowd kind of got in his face and next thing you know boom. but like i don't remember there wasn't a whole lot of work there wasn't a whole lot of anything um which is probably why i don't remember what led up to it it was just like it just happened well, I think, too, everybody was just kind of like fucking with each other and didn't realize that like we were fucking not not me, but like people from here were fucking with them and they were fucking with us. Like, I think everybody took it seriously, but didn't realize that both sides were just like fucking around until it crossed the line. Yeah. And that's how that, that's how all those things usually happen, too. But no, it's definitely the craziest thing I've pretty much ever seen. And I've like pretty much, you know, 
I haven't done a lot of crazy shit, but I've done some outside of hardcore crazier things in my adult life. And uh, yeah, that takes the cake, you know. It, it- and like even if you remember like like back in that in that time frame like this Ro- the Rochester kids and like the Syracuse kids didn't really intermingle like there was seemed seemed to be a lot of like negative shit between both cities which was crazy because it wasn't that far away but but the thing that kind of and I, not like in the law of peace unity thing but it seemed like one of the things that kind of brought both cities together was that ninety eight fest in Auburn with everybody playing four square outside you remember that that was like a changing of the guard too though because that was like yeah. like we were younger kids like something you referenced in the beginning. And I think I'm able to talk about this because I don't even think the dude would really care. We're not going to talk too much about it. But you referenced the show right when you started talking about August 1st, 97. I wasn't there, but I know about that show because there's a Rochester connection. A dude from Rochester got stabbed at that show. Well, that's where you're that? I, I know yeah, somebody yeah. from Rochester got beat pretty good, like from the stage. If you remember how Chuck's was, like there was the room that had the stage. Then there was yeah. like some pool tables. And I, I there was no crown of thorns, I think. Um, cause I remember just seeing someone get beat just from the stage all the way around, all the way outside. I, I didn't know about the stabbing. Yeah. But. So that was where that whole beef took, took kind of transpired it. But then, like I said, once like Rory and people like me, like we were friends with those dudes, but like, we were like a younger, different generation. So it all kind of changed once, uh, like everybody like them came around and stuff and started doing their bands, you know, and then it was more like peace punk type thing for hardcore. You know what I mean? None of the, none of the dudes from the era when I book shows, like aside from the thing that we're not talking about that we've been talking about for like the last 10 minutes um <laughs> no there there was never a fight at any of my shows like there was a couple yeah. times where like at the penny arcade like somebody had to get kicked out you know what i mean and honestly like i can't really think of very many other fights that i really saw at a lot of shows after that i know there was that era in like 2003 2004 where like it was getting kind of rough everywhere where people were starting to to like fight a lot but like other than that like not it was there was not really that much violence around here like i know i know like like you were referencing in 97 with the crew with the jerseys and shit like there would be fights occasionally but even after like once those dudes kind of stopped showing it, it, around, it, like, it definitely died yeah. down then not 98 because it was an auburn like it it was a little mesh and then 99 was that that whole fiasco where they couldn't book at the loss they'd you know wait no 99 was still at the lost it was 2000 that was uh when the whole venue fell through, but like, it's crazy thing how much everything had changed in just those couple of years, like how big everything got and, and just how everything just blew up. And it's just weird. I mean, like, just, I don't know. It's, it's just crazy when you think of some of the stuff you saw and then just in a, such a short time span, just, just when everything went crazy, but yeah, it was, I, I 97, there was some definitely a lot of fighting, but I, there, I don't remember seeing a lot in Syracuse a, after that. I mean, and you know there was a show at uh, the Westcott with another victim, Harvest, Nora, and another Treskill band. I think no fights, no drama, um, no nothing. Then there was another day where a Fourth of July show where they couldn't get um, eighteen visions or Throwdown couldn't get into Canada because someone <laughs> had a record or something. So they turned around and, and Matt Dunn booked a last minute show at the Westcott with, with those two bands and it was set up. Throwdown was they'd play one song, then eighteen visions would play a song. And it was kind of fun, but you know, I mean, you know, throw on people are still gonna watch them, but no, it was just a, just a normal Fourth of July hangout there. It was, it was kind of wild again, looking back at, at all those days and all that stuff. And man, if, if we'd have done a better job documenting all that, you know, it is crazy to look back on it now and to think about it too. Like, because while we're talking about it, and like a few other people I've talked to here, like like you and I have the common bond where we were at a lot of like Hellfest and Posse Fest. Like I know there was like more than music and like New Bedford and other fests like years prior, but I feel like the two fests that I just mentioned, like, like Hellfest and 
Posse Fest were very influential. I'm like, this is hardcore, you know, Sound and Fury, just everything that's going on today, basically. Like, I feel like that oh, kind of like set the tone. Hundred percent, hundred percent. And I mean, all the others fests may have been their fest, but th- those were the those two were the were the lifeblood. They really were like, <clears throat> you know, when Keith and not even like the 2004 five when it got like ridiculous but but you know i, I last one i go i went to the very last one but like the last one i went to i think was 2000 and then he moved to like to the fairgrounds or well it had to be 2000 because i moved to philly after that and i i didn't go back up but like you, you know 99 2000 it was a good mix of all these bands and it it from all different kind of genres and stuff and, and then like when positive numbers when bob was doing that it, it was more on for the most part like more of a traditional hardcore sound you know not the newly guitar the the scream and i hate the term screamo but you know like the, that stuff like the poison the well kind of those bands which by the way i still say that and i've told people this that poison the well set at hellfest 2000 that's the that's the set that changed everything forever because you gotta think about this at that time the internet was in its infancy but you, you had this fest and that's why fests were great you know all these people from all over the country and, and even the world c- come in for the weekend and and you hear bands you never heard before or, or you know whatever but fortunately we were spoiled because poison well used to play up here you know playing syracuse all the time or, or or just up in that area so they play this set that's just crazy and, and i mean as goofy as nerdy might be as a song in 2022 at the time it, it was you know as the kids say it slaps or, or whatever dumb shit they're saying these days but it, it was just like it, it was like a bomb went off and then everyone went back to where they came where they came from and was like check this band out so then everybody starts mimicking this this sound and i've i've told Grabel this i'm like man you owe you owe everything to that to that record and that came out the same day as walls of jericho on, on new year's yep. That, that New Year's Day show, you know, but but I I truly believe that 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 show that set changed music entirely because no no one gave a shit about any of that kind of sound and stuff, and and then you know people got goofy in the two thousands with the 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 record industry bands that sounded like that, but but you know we'd all moved on anyway. Like you know I was doing that 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 zine and you know I'm Mr straight edge gorilla biscuits all that shit but if you look at, at, at that old zine you know i'm interviewing race trader and poison the well and, and 12 tribes but but to me the, those were they weren't hardcore in the sense of sounding like agnostic front but they they had hardcore ethics and and people who listen to the same stuff so i was interviewing them and again it was more more hands in the pot more different views and um you know it was, it was cool being able to, to see all that and capture all that. So by the time Poison the Well and all those bands got big and all those new things came up, we were already gone. We moved on. You know, everything moved to other things. Like I said, in, in skateboarding and in music, like in the punk hardcore world, we're, we're on these trends and stuff years before anyone's even touching them. So it's, it's, it's kind of cool like that. You know, when I first started doing this podcast, I never would have thought that Poison the Well and Adele would come up so much, but Adele's come up recently because of the vinyl pressing plant issues like bands talk about here about that. And then like, I I've always known this about poison law. Cause I love that record. I'm like, I remember exactly what you're we talking about when it came out uh, January 1st, 2000, those two albums. And, uh, but I didn't realize at the time, 
like at the exact time. I remember the set you're talking about because I was there. You can probably even see like pictures and videos of me standing right up front, like taking pictures with my shitty point and shoot camera. But on this podcast, I've talked to uh, Ian Courtney and Rich Thurston and maybe even some other people about the fact that the opposite of December is not only a flawless record, but it's like the most influential record of that era because of what you're saying. Like so many bands, like it changed everything. Like you had clean vocals and screaming and mosh parts, like all on one record. And I know like, as Ian put it and Rich agreed, like there was morning again and culture before that. And if it wasn't for those bands, there wouldn't have been a poison. Well, you know, yada, yada, yada. But I'm just saying like, when that record came out like that, like everybody loved that record for one. And it was because it was personal, but like, like culture, Memento Mori with the Slayer wrist, it's an awesome song, you, you know, and even more again, like I love more again. And I, I love the stuff that Kevin writes and like his introspective lyrics and stuff. But there was something different about about that. And, and it's funny, that whole Florida thing, like it seemed like every band from Florida was on Immigrant Sun. Someone in the band was barefoot when they play. And um, there, I remember there was a show, I think it was Embrace Today and Newfound Glory at the Westcott. And I didn't know who Newfound Glory was, but I knew they had a record on Immigrant Son and they're setting up and someone doesn't have their shoes on. I'm like, oh man, this is going to be great. It's something I don't know. It's going to sound like, and then it was, <laughs> they sound like Newfound Glory. I was like, oh my God. What <laughs> oh, I was so bummed. That's a band I never really got into. They played that, the goodbye song, which I thought, I thought that was pretty, I was like, yeah, this song was pr- pretty cool. And I guess they didn't want to play it or something. I don't know, but yeah, they're the only shoeless band from Florida that didn't sound like like all the other bands. But you know, it's I'm grateful for that Poison the Well record. I'm going to listen to it when we get up, when we're done. It's yes, yeah, it's, it's, it's it's flawless and it's timeless. So like you can listen to yeah. it now and it sounds just as good as it did uh, 22 years ago. And yeah, people like to shit on it too. But it's funny though. I couldn't I couldn't play a newfound glory song out to you, but like those are the bands like, and my girlfriend doesn't like those bands, but like those are the bands like from like hardcore adjacent, as the kids say now, like that she would be familiar <laughs> with, like. She'll she'll mention like Fallout Boy and Newfound yeah. Glory and I'm, and even to her I'm like that's like people like think that's like emo or screamo or like you were saying in the beginning and I'm like I don't want to be that that loser that has to like explain everything down to a science so I just don't even say anything and now I'm like just fine with people thinking that it's like that screaming music that I listen to you know like I'm just like I don't care anymore you know <laughs> it's whatever you can't fight that fight anyway it's, it's yeah done. so uh. Believe it or not, I did plan on circling back around to the fanzine. Uh, that's how I what I was talking about initially with talking about the, the, the show we weren't talking about. No, that's fine. That's what these podcasts are for is we go off on a little tangent like this and it all kind of circles back around to. So when did you kind of start doing uh, start today? Was that like the early 2000s? Then? Like 2002, I want to say, right? Uh, it was 2001. I, okay. I, I can tell you the specifics on this. Um, that Again, with, with the other zine, it, it was like too serious at times and just whatever it was a product of, of that time um and we moved to philly in, in february 2001 and uh i was going you know was going going to shows i was doing you know i was getting my feet wet in in, in philly and then um robbie had booked burn to play at rotunda and I, I got the the burn cassette tape because it wasn't practical for me to take a bus to downtown pittsburgh go skating all day with a record in my backpack so just i bought um bringing it down and um the burn cassette that that day was, i was in 10th grade um so like i've liked that burn the burn seven inch you know since its beginning and clearly i never got to see him um orange nine was around but it wasn't burn you know 
and, and so like Robbie Bookburn, like, oh my, it, it, this is a time when, when old bands weren't even playing shows that much. So if someone was doing something, it, it was crazy. And, and uh, it, it was on a Saturday and Jen and I lived in Upper Darby and uh, I ordered from one of the vegetarians, my guess was from Kingdom of Vegetarians in Chinatown. Uh, and um, I remember driving it. I was near 69th Street, the 69th Street Station in Upper Darby, driving down to this show or drive, driving to pick up um, this food, thinking about the show the next day and just how excited I was. And I was just like, and I was just like, I want, I want to do a new zine. I want to do like a, just a fun zine, like just like like a hardcore zine, you know, you know, just, 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 just this. And and I was driving and I'm psyched. I'm like, oh, interview burn tomorrow. I'll just, and I, I did. It wasn't very good. My pictures weren't very good, but it didn't matter because I was excited. And I was listening to Grill Biscuits start today at the time. And that's literally how it was like, I'll, I'll call it start today. And the other reason <laughs> that I did it was I was like, I'll make start today suicidal tendencies, the ST ripoff shirts. I never did that. I always wanted to. But that's honestly one of the reasons I named it start today was I just want to do a start today suicidal ripoff shirt. But um, so I got this idea. And like that first issue was only 16 pages. It wasn't very good. Um, I was still figuring out what I want to do. I did a striking distance interview where I wrote it almost like, like a hit piece. It was in all those zines at the time, like, like those free zines that they'd mail out. Like here's this band, and they. But but my goal with that was there. Let's get this out, get it out. That way I can get some advertising and go from there. And I relied on advertising to to, to do the zine. And again, it was never the intent was never to make money. Like I wanted to. All right, it's going to cost me this much money to press this many pages i go sell this many ads let's do it that way i don't lose the money and my intent was always i'll save the money and start a label It'll save the money do another issue so it was slowly building and building and building and, and that's what happened so you, you know i started the zine then uh, me and donnie bought some screen printing stuff so he was doing some one-up stuff and cut the tension stuff i'm doing start today stuff um sold some shirts at shows saved that money eventually started balling up because of that but I, I mean, you know, my intent with the zine was never, it was never like, I'm going to make all this money or do all this cool shit. Now, nah, I just wanted to do a zine. And what was cool was Small Publishers Co-op was, was a thing then. And for anybody who's listening who doesn't know, it was a, a thing in Florida where the company had some ends with people who ran pressing, um, printing presses. So they would go in on, on at night and one week they'd print on white wolf paper. Then the following week they would do um, newsprint back and forth so those first couple issues to start today were actually on newsprint so it was cheaper um then i was able to get enough advertising enough interest that i was able to do um white wove which was a, it just looked better so when start today six came out small publishers had gone out of business um and i had a friend who worked at kinko's and they were supposed to hook me up with a uh like a a discount um like i forget what it was but so I got the first run back and they looked like Atari 2600 graphics, like the pig, everything looked like shit. And I was like, I'm sure somebody got fired over this because it was like 500 zines. I couldn't, I'm like, I can't use these. This is, this is terrible. So even the second runs, not, not that good. And so then I was facing this problem, like where I still want to do it, but I mean, small parts of was the cheapest way to do it. You know, you do a thousand for, a thousand bucks or whatever it was and like kinko's just i paid way too much for that so i was like well i still want to do this what, what what can i you know how can i do it so i came up with the idea that 
I was just doing it as, as a free PDF, like a downloadable PDF. Because to me, like I said, it was never about making the money. So if I don't have to run ads, I don't have to pay for it. Here, here you go. Then I wasn't limited to pages, to a page count, um, to deadlines. You know, I could just do it, do it as as I could. The funny thing is, like Dead Zine minus the cover page, and um, on the last few, I've done like an intro page for an interview where I'll do like a full page of a band with, the, with their logo. That's the only thing I'll do in Photoshop. Everything else, I literally print it out, glue stick it, double-sided tape it, cut it, and I've used the same backgrounds for every issue. Like, I have a stack of them, and I just reprint them. Um, but and I could do it all on the computer. Like, I, I was messing around doing a couple of photo pages, and I was just like, it's, yeah, no. it Yeah, that's a nice straight line. I don't want that. Like, I, I like building. I like putting it together. I like going to Kinko's, printing the photos. I like it's the whole for me it's the whole process i mean i love that people like it i love the people who are excited for it and, and there's all this stuff but at the end of the day it, it's for me like it's what i like doing and and I, it's why i want to do another one but i have i put all this pressure on myself and all these expectations and, and all this and i'm like if i can't live up to it should i do it like i was i was dead set that last issue i did was was it um the back cover is a bang quote and it's a picture of bane it was, it was like that's why I did that. I was like, the, the, we're done. And even when I struggled to get that done, the Bane interview was so good that that's what pushed me. Like, people need to read this because I don't, I don't know Aaron, you know. And and he he sent me this interview back that was just so open and so honest and so real. I was like, really? Oh my god! Like this has to be out there. Like it, this has to. But but right now I just don't know. I, I've done some photo pages for a new issue. Um, I have random notes, like a serial killer of things that I either want to talk about, but like, I don't know what bands to interview because I've done not all, but I've done the ones I really wanted to do. Um, and I'm, I'm 46. I, I'm writing to a different audience, and, but I don't want it to be back in my day or any of that preachy bullshit, but I can't. I can't relate. And I, I may have written this in an old issue too. Like hardcore. I mean, I, I was poor growing up. So in a sense, like, like getting into like punk and skateboarding, it, it gave me an excuse to not have to go to the prom and do all that bullshit that people did in high school because I was fucking poor and I was embarrassed. So like, you know, I use that as a shield too. <clears throat> and I mean, it, I, I and I wasn't as poor as some people. Don't get me wrong. You know, I wasn't eating a fucking can of beans or anything like that. But I mean, there wasn't a whole lot of money going around. And how how are we not forgetting the struggle, not forgetting the streets when you're at a show with a eleven hundred dollar iPhone? And I, and 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 I mean, it's it's a changing at times. But you know, people are traveling. They're getting good hotels and designer things and and. $30 t-shirts and it's just like how do, how do I write to that without trying to sound like an asshole or uh, things were better back in my day because it wasn't but but the thing that's motivated me and I think that that still does it is because I was th that kid who didn't know where he fit in where he belonged and, and like so when I do the zine like I, I want it to be a thing where someone someone who feels that way might, might pick it up and it might have that, that lasting impact, like, and, and do good, 
good things from it, you, you know, for their life, for, for other people's lives, for, for whatever it might be. And um, I, I know it's kind of corny to say, but I mean, that's what I've always, minus the suicidal tendencies ripoff, that's that's what I've always wanted the, the zine to be, was something like that. And it, I know it's like a Bane song, like, like, can we start again? Like, this is where I, but, 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 but it was like someone, I, I got lucky I found this. So somewhere somebody needs this, that they need it. And it's not the best scene in the world. I mean, I could look at a hundred others that are better. I could look at a hundred others that are worse, you know, but uh, like, and I want to write things that are important or, or things that I feel important. I want to do a whole issue just based on the concepts of the songs behind shelters, um, a day in the Supreme. I'm like, I love that record so much. Like, like better way. Is that the record? The day in the Supreme. It, it, I think that's the record. The one with better way and progressive man. Like, I love that record so much. I just can't, I can't remember the names of the records. Um, that like, and I've, I've told Greg this too. Like, I just want to do like 10 little articles just based on concepts of, of the songs. But again, I don't want to come across preachy either. And it, it's, it's a fine line and I want to keep it fun. And I want to use the varsity fonts and, and all the crap that I do. But, but I think right now that I can't do this new issue because I have these expectations that I set for myself. And if I can't, if I can't meet them, I don't want to do it. And it's stupid where I should just start working on it and then let the chips fall where they may. Um, I mean, I, I have interview questions like for magnitude written up, like I'm ready to go. Um, I don't know. I, and, and I'm not trying to cause drama or dirt or anything, but like, I, I don't know, like, like, like Eco Strike. I know they're playing the last show in Philly in a, in a couple of weeks and I haven't really talked to Lennon much during during any of this stuff so I don't, I don't know what's going on with him and this isn't like a dig at him or anything um but i really want to do an eco strike interview because i really love that band and um i texted him i don't know we'll just say like f- four or five months ago sometime in, in late 2021 i was like yo um what's up and you know what's going on he's like oh nothing and i, I was like i'm working on a new issue do you want to do like an eco interview with like for eco strike and plead your case in in like florida hardcore like like all of that and and he never got back to me like in a text you know and i was just like all right i mean we we, we all go through things and, and i and i get that and, it, and again I, like i said this has nothing to do with him or anything like that but i wanted to do an eco strike interview so like i had all the questions i had all this stuff written out before i, I even texted him because i mean i've known him for a long time it wasn't i i wasn't expecting that so it's like all right now back to the drawing board what am i going to do with this so I don't know. Um, so, so you get those little hiccups or like I was supposed to do a today interview. Kappa was all down for it. When I talked to him one day, then I emailed him and crickets. So I actually ran it and it'll start today's where like, I had the question. I put, I just sent the questions in the interview with some pictures or something. I, I think I did that. Maybe I scrapped it. God, you know, it's funny. You do a zine. You never look at it again after you're done. Like I hardly ever look at the finished product and it, it I, sh- I should probably do that. I've looked but, at yeah. mine to like repost. I've wanted to like repost some of them and stuff. And then I'll look at them and like I hex posted something like a trial flyer at some point. And I said something in the comments about how influential they were. And Greg just randomly sent me a message like thanking me for posting that. And I was like, yeah, you guys really were. And I was like, and by the way, you know, I interviewed you in Syracuse years ago. and I'm going to repost all these old interviews eventually. Well, when I started opening up the old issues of the right path, I was like, yo, I don't want to fucking post these on Instagram. I don't want people seeing this shit. I was like 17. When I said some of this shit, you know, oh, one I idea know. I want to, one idea I kind of want to float to you though is, and maybe somebody's already done this or it's already in the works, but like you mentioned Danielle Dombrowski earlier. And I remember her from 
the nineties, all the photos she took. And like, there's so many of you guys like on stage at all these fests, like who's, who's done like the photo zine or book or whatever. Like that's something that I feel like should be done. I know it would be a time consuming project and like it would cost money, but like, like you guys have both, I know you and her specifically, and I'm sure there's other people, but like you guys have been on the stage, like photographing so many bands for so many years now that there's gotta be just so many crazy shots that should be in something documented. You know what I mean? Like not just uh, that, Instagram. That would, that, that, that would be awesome. I should actually mess. She's, she's like my, my photography best friend. Like um, I was actually supposed to shoot her wedding. Um, she got married um, over the summer. I think it was over the summer um, in Hawaii. And uh, she wanted me to come shoot it, but I, I couldn't, I was like, I, I, you're a photographer. If I fuck this up. <laughs> um, so like, but you know, I mean, we, we shoot the fest together. We, we do, we do all that stuff. Um, I, I, I'm, when we get done, I'm going to text her and, and she actually, right before we go on, she texted me some flyer for um, an old ad, an old ad business card that, that she had, had made from uh, when was that? 97. Was, she just found it. And, and I think she just put it on Instagram actually too. So I should ask her about that. She actually texted me one day. She goes like on Instagram, she can't tell sometimes who took the photo, whether it was me or her. <laughs> like when she scrolled through the feed to see whose photo it is, which I took as a compliment because I always liked her stuff growing up or not growing up, but you know, before I was like shooting stuff, I always knew who, who Danielle was. And um, there's actually a new earth crisis seven inch coming out. Um, I don't know if it's new songs. Uh, I, I, I don't remember because I, I saw the back cover, but the back cover is actually one of my photos and um, they credited Danielle for it. Because Earth Crisis posted the picture on Instagram, and I con- and tagged her, and I commented, I'm "Like, I uh, I took that. It was in Philly with Eco Strike, and uh, so for a couple minutes, Scott messages me. He goes, um, <laughs> we used that photo on the back of the new record, and I think we credited Danielle for that because I guess he has a folder just it was like Dombrowski, and and it was in there. I'm like, I, I don't care. I mean, like." I, I know it's mine, and if I get a photo on the back of Earth Crisis record, even if it's 2022, to me, that's 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 a win. So, But, yeah, I mean, she's sitting on way more than I am because she used film in, in good stuff. And like I said, I got them crappy point-and-shoots from 2001 that are barely worthy for Instagram. But she's actually – she's been very helpful um, with me trying to learn things and figure things out, and we pick each other's brains. And actually, when we were at – our friend J.C. Carey, he's – He's incredible too. Um, we were at the Airbnb before FYA trying working working on some focus issues, and she's actually texting him, asking him, like, "All right, we're we're having an issue with this. What do we do?" So it, it, it's kind of cool, like you know, with photographers for the, for the most part, you know, no one's going at each other's throats. We're kind of all there for each other and and helping each other. And and I mentioned this somewhere before, like this is hardcore, like you know, it's me, Danielle, Todd. Uh, and and we're all shooting the same stuff, but all our photos look different, and it's all the same. You know, it's the same thing, and that's what's cool about it. You, you know, like we all have our own vision on, on how we want to do things. Like when we shot FYA, Danielle had three flashes set up. She had two hanging and one on her camera. I had one, so her photos are you know got a lot more stuff lit up. Where mine's a little more dark in the background, more on, more on the subject. But that's how I like to shoot things. Um, and you know she i mean i would love i I wish i knew how to do all the off-camera flash stuff so i I could do stuff like that so i just i take what i what i do and say no that's what i like doing that 
but in, in reality, if I could really blow everything out, I, I would do that too. But yeah, it's, it's a good group of good group of people. And I, I've missed them a lot. Um, so I'm, I'm looking forward to the, this is hardcore reunion sometime this summer. What about that? Like abnegation reunion? Are you gonna be going to all that too? Or? Yeah. Oh yeah. That, that's, that's yeah. like an hour from my house. I, I'm going to throw a fish eye on and just blow up a whole lot of blow my flash a lot and make it really like it's 95. Yeah. Um, the race traders still race race traders a thing again, and people are excited about that. Um, and I'm not not just a race trader, but like it's just weird that people are like like hype hyped about them. And I remember they played at MIT with like Varsity and Blood Pack. Um, All right, oh yeah, 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 <laughs> yeah not, not, not Massachusetts. <laughs> yeah, wrong, wrong, wrong school, wrong school. Yeah. All right, um, yeah, and then I think the race trader played. Uh, Hellfest too, because I think that's why I did it. I did definitely interview with Manny at some point. But yeah, I'm excited to see them. But I, I oddly enough, even being around here, I never saw I never saw Abnegation. I, I never seen them awesome. either. They were like right before my time. Cause like I, when I met you was like a year after I got into like hardcore and shit. Like I went to my first show on like '95, but I didn't like fully immerse myself until like like '97 ish. Yeah. Um, but I'm gonna have Dave Steele on here like like definitely before the reunion to talk to him uh, about all that and other other eerie eerie memories i mean you saw i had ems on last year too so i'm yeah. trying to branch out more initially i was just gonna do like rochester and buffalo and syracuse but i'm like that's kind of like like pretty niche like i mean i still have a ton of people from this area to interview but i'm like on top of the fact that it's cool to interview people like you because it's cool just to catch up and, and shoot the ship for a couple hours with something you haven't talked to and like i mean it's probably been like 15 or 20 years since you and i realistically talked to each other you know so yeah absolutely it's uh it's definitely fun and then like there's always there's always you always learn something from one of these interviews too you know but i guess we are kind of getting to that point now where i'll, I'll probably ask you like and, and i know like i always say there's always going to be like a text or a message like 10 minutes after we end the zoom where you're gonna be like <laughs> i didn't talk about this or that or i forgot about this but like what what can you think of offhand like right now are there things that we didn't discuss that you'd want to like talk about in an interview like this i don't know well first of all I, well i mean I, i've been rambling so i think i covered a lot of stuff that's on my mind but you, you know, I just got to say, like, I appreciate you even reaching out um, to do this. Uh, you know, being a photographer is a, a lonely, unappreciated existence. And people like to think that we're the burden to, to the hardcore world. And I will say this. Everyone's a photographer now. And it definitely makes life hard. Um, but good and bad at the same time. And some of these new kids are really good. And it, it makes me makes me wish I could do things better or, you know, whatever. But. Everyone needs to be nicer to us. And, and I said this interview before I did a thing on no echo. Um, you know, if you're coming up and first of all, earn it, you know, shoot, shoot the shitty show, shoot, shoot the bad things, figure out what you're doing, show that you're here for something. And even the bands, but like this, this isn't the get, get rich or get famous quick scheme. It, it's not. And because people, like Josh Grabell or Chris Wren have had some success with this or, or even like every time I die, but none of those entities came into this with the intent to get rich and famous. I mean, I'm sure it's every, in the back of everybody's head. No one's going to be like, I'm just doing this. I mean, we all fantasy. I mean, just like with Curse of Oak Island, I fantasize about finding a pirate treasure. It doesn't mean I'm going to, but, but like, and that that's the difference the ones that are real and the success will come because the success is deserved in in in, in owed like chris wren he, he deserves 
what he's got because he's worked for it and he hasn't compromised. Like he's, he's done his own thing. And these guys were all pioneers to everybody, you, you know? So like, and so that they've earned it. I mean, I, I met Chris at Hellfest 99. Um, and I just remember being excited because he had like the, the Yoda ripoff Star Wars stuff and the AN demo had just come out. And I mean, you know, he's back there with his little table selling in that sweaty ass parking lot. And, you know, now he's doing all this great stuff. So everyone who, who's done this, it's, it's from work. It's from doing that. It's not, it wasn't a Ponzi scheme. It wasn't trying to take advantage of, of, of everything. So from the musical standpoint or from the photography standpoint, like come in, shoot those shitty bands, the, the shitty shows, shoot the openers, support everybody, you know, because a, it's going to make you better and be just be cool. Like support people. Like the opening bands, they want, I mean, they deserve to have people take take their photos. And I mean, it, it's hard. Could you imagine? Like, I've never been in a band, but I, I couldn't imagine like being an opening band for something and playing to like six, seven people. Like, I would, I would, I'd probably be like super embarrassed. And like, how, how do you? But you know, you forge through that, and then sometimes you you become huge, or I don't know. It's just like there's a cycle, and and just work through it. Um, but you know, learn from your failures, learn from your mistakes. That's I, I I shot. There was a Pittsburgh music magazine um, that I shot some photos for. I don't know. We'll say like seven, eight years ago when I didn't know anything about not using a flash because I'd shot hardcore shows and just flash, flash, flash. So I shot a couple shows and the pictures weren't very good. And I mean, I'll be the first to tell you that. And um, the guy doing it kind of ghosted me. And again, at the time, my feelings were hurt. But looking back at it, I I, I get it. But I use that. Um, kind of as a motivator like all right i am I'm, I'm going to get better and i'm going to reach out or i'm going to even go beyond him and um i had i sn- i did some gorilla photos of metallica to show i had a little point and shoot that i got with me. and i got some really cool photos and i ran into this guy at a show and i was like oh yeah i introduced, introduced myself and reminded me who i was i was like oh check out some of my, my newer stuff and he's like oh email me I'm like, yeah i might and um, I didn't. And then uh, I actually ran into him at a show we recently shot in uh, th- that, that tool show. And uh, I saw his stuff on- online for the Pittsburgh Post-Gazette, some photos. And I'm like, and, I, and I'm, not, I'm not egotistical by, by any stretch, but I was like, yeah, I, I fucking crushed this. Like, but, but it was a driving force for all those years because, because my own shortcomings, my own fuck up, but it was nothing. I was like, no, I, no, man, I, I deserve to be here. Like I can do this. Let me figure out how to do this. But even now I'm like, ah, I should have done that different. Or I wish I would have done that. Or, but that's the, again, the problem with shooting concerts is you just never know what you're going to get. So, but yeah, do the thing. I appreciate it. Uh, um, I, I like what you do. Like, like I said, I wasn't blowing smoke when I said, actually listen to your podcast because it gets to good stuff, not just a bunch of nonsense I don't care about because someone's trying to fluff their ego or make money doing a podcast, just like everything else. But you, I mean, there's a theme here. So, yeah, I'm definitely uh, not making any money on this on this enterprise. Uh, that 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 definitely was not meant as a pun either. I, that was just just kind of uh, kind of happened to slip it out. Was, like it, was that. Good, it was a good it was a good pun. I, I was impressed. Yeah. So um, I, I, take, I take it back. Yeah, people always ask questions about that. And I'm like, kind of going back to what you're saying about the fanzines. Like, I I had no problem selling ads. Like even when I was doing like a photocopied fanzine, but 
um, this is going to be episode 66 and I still don't, I don't know if I have to like contact like record labels more like, like get more in close contact with them or what, but I don't know how to really do like, like ad spots with this. And I don't, I don't want to sound dumb. Maybe I'll cut this part out of the conversation when I put this episode out, but, <coughs> but, but, um, but that's, that's the thing. Do, do, do labels even have to advertise anymore? Yeah, it's true too. You know what I mean? Again, if you want to cut this out, just as, as a regular discussion, like that, like with the zine, like I really, fortunately the PDF thing was like, I, I couldn't even, labels don't have to advertise because everything's at your fingertips now. There's the bank app pages. There's, it's easy to build a web page. It's easy, easy to do all this stuff and get all this information out there. And there's not the, there's not that fest like Hellfest or, I mean, there's this hardcore, but even, I mean, you've been there, like the merch tables, it's not like it was. People aren't doing the limited presses. It's that, that part of the culture is gone. So it's like, yeah, maybe there isn't advertising. Because if, I don't know if I would even need, like if I was in that position where I had a successful business like that, I, you know, do I even have to advertise? Well, I you, guess you might not. I guess with that being said, if this makes the cutting floor, uh, somebody from Liquid Death get a hold of me ASAP, and I'll uh, I'll put a sponsor out for you guys or something then, because I think I think Jeff oh, might man. be onto something here. So yeah, they 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 provided the drinks at FYA. Yeah, and they they, they look in most of our photos. You'll see a Liquid Death can. They're on. They're on. Uh, who was I? Steve O. I listened to a couple of his episodes. There's, you know, there's always that joke like you got a face for podcasting or whatever. <laughs> Steve O does not have a voice for podcasting. That's for fucking sure. I've been listening to his <laughs> podcast lately though because he's got cool people on there and and he's got the Liquid Death sponsors and like a lot of the wrestling ones I listen to. They have like, I don't want to have like Manscaped and shit like that for like sponsors and shit. But like it'd be nice to <laughs> get a couple extra bucks to like I say in the beginning of the episode to like buy like a camera to like shoot some live interviews like we like we were going back to what we were talking about in the beginning like it's it's nice doing this like on zoom because it has more of a personal feel but like there's nothing that beats like i have a couple lapel like clip on mics now so i plan on like doing like in-person like interviews like whether it be like at a show or like a more intimate thing where there's no background noise like it's just so much better to have like the in-person conversation right. versus like emailing somebody or like calling them on the phone even like yeah you know what i mean so oh, yeah. But yeah, no, that's pretty much what we got left. So uh, you got any like shout outs or anything else you want to uh, throw in the conver- conversation, I guess? I, I wish. I'm not good at shout outs. Shout out to you for doing this and for keeping at it after all these years. You, you know, I mean, you were, you were doing the zine, you were doing the show. And, you know, here we are move, moving forward into the future. You're doing the podcast and still, again, there's, there's people who, who find this in their life and, and that becomes their life and maybe not maybe not like the focus point of their life but i mean you know you'll be doing this forever in, in some capacity and that, that's what's awesome what's awesome and then you make meet these people you make these friendships that, that you have after all this time you, you know so that's my like that's why that's why i miss about fest and everything that's been going on is being able to get together with everybody and I, I said this somewhere that I don't have much of a family. So like this stuff was like, it's like a family reunion to me, like catching up, seeing everybody. And um, God, I saw like an H2O song, <laughs> but, but it's true. Yeah. You no, know, all the corny, cliche, all the corny hardcore cliches are actually, they ring pretty true in, in my existence. So. Yeah. Before I had kids, I, I agree. This is definitely my only family. And now that I have like, uh, you know, kids, it's kind of like having a family and that's, but that's kind of part of the reason why I do the podcast too, is just to kind of have them something for them to listen to when they get older, if they ask any questions about, you know, the, the weird music that 
they know that I'm into, or maybe it won't sound weird to them when they get older, I guess we'll see. Yeah. And that's why I was telling Frank, um, like, you know, he, he has a, his two girls and he's a great dad, but he need he needs that skateboarding. Cause that's, that's his life too. You, you know, his life isn't simply just being a father and it keeps you grounded and it's, it's pretty, it's needed and necessary. So, so keep the podcast cause that keeps you more well-rounded and, and, and let you still hold on to who you are at, at the core. All right. So that's going to wrap up episode 66. I want to thank Jeff for taking the time to do the interview. Uh, I got a bunch of episodes coming up in the next few weeks, but also a programming note. My son has a birthday. Uh, if you're listening to this, probably when it comes out, it's today. And then uh, I myself have a birthday the following Friday. So we're going to kind of slow things down just for a week or two. Uh, there should still be one or two episodes, uh, not one or two, one episode per week, probably for the next two, maybe three weeks. And then we'll get back to two per week. Uh, I got a ton of stuff coming up. So just keep your eyes peeled to the website. Make sure you give us a follow on Facebook and Instagram at Enterprise Hardcore Podcast, on Twitter at Podcast Hardcore. Always look at EnterpriseHardcorePodcast.com. As always, shout out to Greg Benoit, Jim Byrne, and Rob Antonucci for helping out with the podcast. And a special thanks to my family for their never-ending support with all this nonsense. Thanks again to everybody who supports the podcast on Patreon and spreads the word. And see everybody real soon and stay safe.